Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Why, hello everyone, and welcome back to what am I doing here? He's back. Oh my gosh, did I do something wrong? No, am I looking the right way? You're back. You think that I had uh, figured this all out from by now, undisclosed but... locations? <laughs> from my right. undisclosed, my Mexa, Mexa you... undisclosed. I totally ago. did not, yeah, spoil <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was awesome. Had a great, guess I had where great I am. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome it was good though. Van- <laughs> oh, honestly, it was uh, it was a fantastic trip. I had a good for you. fantastic time. Cannot wait to book the next one. Not sure where that's going to take us, but uh, who knows? Maybe back to the same place. Hey, everyone! Welcome back to uh, Fandor. This one, it's uh, episode seven. My name, of course, is Wes R. Scott, and I am joined by my very own rebels, uh, Hank McLaughlin and uh, Andrew Daw. Uh, Fandor, as you may or may not know, is our little uh, weekly review series where we break down each episode of uh, Star Wars and or now on Disney+. Plus. Whether this is your first time with us or you've been here for the long haul, I want to say thank you for choosing us. We really do appreciate the support. I'm telling you guys, reading your comments means a lot to us. And remember, sometimes those comments can even influence the direction of the show. So please keep them coming. Now, as I've said it before, you might want to think of our show as being like an annotated audiobook because our breakdowns are beat for beat, where we cover all the plot points and uh, Easter eggs, as well as all the greater Star Wars lore connections that we discover throughout the course of the show. Now, you might be thinking, but Wes, you know, I've I've seen it all and I've heard it all. Yeah, I've I've heard everything about the episode, but I am encouraging you, please stick around because our show. It's just a little bit different than most, and you might be pleasantly surprised at just what you may have missed. They don't know what we know. Elsewhere. (laughs) Exactly. Now, with all of that out of the way, I want to do something a little bit different, and uh, I'm calling this segment Bad Star Wars Jokes. Oh, yeah. I've got one for you. Oh, wow. Excellent. I've got one for you. Guys. What do you call an Alderanian princess who only shops at Whole Foods? Oh, I do not know. Princess Leia Organic. Nice. Nice. I, I have one, but should that's we save one. it for next week? Sure, we'll save it for next week. Um, that's been our, that's a, that's a new segment. And like I said, we're calling this one Bad Star Wars Jokes. So uh, watch and listen for more of those. Uh, Also, if you have a bad Star Wars joke, 
please send it over. Um, we'd love to, I mean, providing that it's, you know, not uh, uh, that we can use it on air. Family but we would love, we would love to hear and see your bad Star Wars jokes. Guys, episode seven. Um, no joke. <laughs> seriously, now, what do we, uh, just sort of first impressions. What do you guys think about the episode uh, overall? It left me hanging. <laughs> that's an interpretation uh, wait a second <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fair <laughs> anything else you want to throw out before we uh... <laughs> i mean so they're they're back at it again in terms of the the self one-upsmanship if you will like uh, that's like, a great analogy like six was incredible analogy. six did things for me that i feelings wise i hadn't felt since i was a little sure, kid watching sure. star wars and you think to yourself you know after the show is yeah. over after you've watched it what happened there we go how do, how do you top that you know in your quiet moments you're like how you're watching it by yourself you know maybe the fifth time you're like how do we top this and then they do you know and everything yeah, they, the they preamble really was like distracting almost this is a standalone it's like that was the least standalone of, you know, I could name five shows in the Mandal episodes of the Mandalorian that were completely standalone. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. that didn't feel standalone at all. No, that was sort of the thing going into this week where they'd, they'd sort of postulated because first and only time uh, director for this show, that's uh, sorry, not director, writer, writer, mm. I should correct that. Didn't jive with sort of the, the episode the arc uh the arc narrative that has been used up till now right the episode still pushes everything forward though uh in a major way as far as jiving yeah. with the rest it doesn't feel out of place it doesn't feel like it's not if it were missing episode. right yeah it, like that's just yeah. it. Yeah. if it were missing we would have missed a lot i feel like we got we got some more questions uh, uh, posited this week. Um, mm. uh, certainly, I have a few, but uh, man, I, I tend to look at the the titles, and I like to take the title and sort of lay that over top of the show and kind of look at it sort of through each character's eyes and kind of see what it means. And I, I mean, beyond the obvious, Dedra, it's an announcement. I mean, mm -hmm. do we not do we not have several? announcements this week oh certainly yeah certainly. i think that on, on some level i look at cyril karn uh talking to uh to the guy at the bureau that he's going to clear his name that's an announcement i mean if mm -hmm. if you know yeah that means he's not done we're not no, absolutely expect more we get the introduction of our new uh, we posited is there a bigger imperial bad we got that answered in spades and and yeah. that character that character makes an announcement uh with the emergency measures enacted by as the well and he drops sort of a backdoor legacy line yeah 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 marva's uh, metaphorical announcement that she's going to stand with the rebellion mm -hmm. yeah and and you and, know like like you had said like D D dedra lays it on the line she does and that's yeah. actually an old film trope is to have your villain say the title of your movie mm, gotcha gotcha we'd speculated right that uh that because of who was left behind at the end of the heist yeah that they might just you know okay write it off as okay it was an inside job whatever but her doubling down on it and like pushing forward yeah, like, yeah. okay they're not going to let that happen she's going to make sure that you know the imperials know there is something coming at them but I've I never rooted for the empire before, but 
I like her. Yes. I yeah. like her. And if you're going to root for somebody, you know, she seems to be the, the one to, to get behind. Yeah. The only thing that kind of took me out this week or not so much took me out, but caught me off guard. What's that? Was the and or Miami section. Niami. Yeah. Like I love Niami. Having just come back from vacation, I watched that and I started laughing. I'm like, oh man, this is the episode I should have done from the pool. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like after a couple minutes, it's like, okay, you know, this is just another facet of normal life that we haven't seen before. I mean, we like we got a hint of it on Canto Bite, but nowhere near as like we talked a little bit about uh that that uh comic with um Wedge. Yeah. And uh and Porkins on vacation. Or sorry, not right. Wedge. Um Biggs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Biggs on vacation. And it's like, oh, now we're actually seeing people on, on vacation. vacation. <laughs> of course, people yeah. in the Star Wars galaxy take vacations. And I, I've sort of been on all of the Disney shows and 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 I, I kind of feel like that about any property that explores familiar territory, if you will. You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And my my caveat has always been are you going to give us something that matters? Is there a reason for the story or are we just playing in a star Wars sandbox? Are we just playing in a Marvel sandbox? Certainly mm-hmm. not to be too negative, but she Hulk felt like we were just playing in a sandbox. It didn't really, it wasn't very cohesive for me. It didn't feel like a story that absolutely needed to be told. Right. And when I, when I realized what the Aldani heist does yeah, for Star Wars, I go. This is one of the biggest stories that's never yep. been told. Yep, this this never is the, told. the catalyst for the Empire to literally lift the veil completely off and expose themselves yeah. as what they actually yeah, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there couldn't be a more important story if you ask me. I agree. I keep going back to my man, my boy Nemec. Uh, you know, may he rest. But like that man's legacy, I feel is like at the heart at the center of everything that's happening here and in light of what happens this week i'm like nail bitingly like oh my god what's gonna happen now right right well it's still safe where it is uh have you ever been on vacation do you trust housekeeping in a foreign country (laughs) you know what i mean like it's right i'm not saying that you should or you shouldn't but i mean things happen when you vacation and there are there are precautions that you take when you travel and although he's he has taken a precaution yeah, where is it? <laughs> that's a risky. That's a risky one. Huge risk. Of course, he didn't know he was going to get picked up that day. So. No. All right. Last thing I want to just sort of generally speaking, I haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about it, but this episode, for whatever reason, that that little hook that they use going into Niami that they play again at the uh, the 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 end credits, I love that music. Love it. I'm a huge fan of the the Tron Legacy soundtrack, and it reminds me very much of that style of music. And it is, it, it's like the least Star Warsian Star Wars music yeah, totally. ever, and yeah. I love it. At first, Absolutely I didn't. It. Uh, it's growing on me. Certainly, at first, it felt too not Star Wars. Like like you said, it, like it felt too Earth like. Yeah, it's like yeah, the yeah. you know the four four drum track kind of thing or whatever. But <laughs> I, it's grown on me certainly. <laughs> sure, sure. All right, guys, you want to get to it? Let's do yeah. it. All right, let's do it. This week, it's uh, episode seven. This one is called The Announcement. Uh, it aired on Wednesday, October 19th on Disney+. Plus. This one is written by Stephen Schiff. It is directed by Benjamin Caron. We have an advertised runtime of 53 minutes or a much leaner 43 minutes and 26 seconds. 
sans credits and titles. Now, Stephen Schiff, he was the writer of uh, Clint Eastwood's uh, uh, True Crime, as well as the uh, screenplay for American Assassin. I don't know if you guys saw that one. That's uh, that's a really good movie. And Benjamin Caron, director of 11 episodes of The Crown, of which uh, he also produced 20 of them. So yeah. a show about political intrigue. Uh, He's also the uh, director of the, of the final two episodes, I believe, as well. That is correct. Yes, he will yeah. be directing the 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 last uh, arc, as it were. Yeah, it makes me that makes me go. <laughs> yeah, it, ma- it makes me quite like, like yeah. I'm a little perked up at that. Like, oh, we talked about wanting to see the political drama, and I mean, this guy. I mean, we we all have heard. I mean, I haven't watched it yet, but I think we've all heard at how well the crown has been received. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, that makes me feel good in the sense that, that a show like the crown, which is so steeped in, in, uh, in the monarchy and British politics, it's an easy leap to come on to, uh, and, or with what, with the story that they're trying to tell here. All right. Our episode opens with, uh, our good friend, uh, Cyril Karn, who's uh, now sitting on his bed, staring out the window. Now we've seen him here before, but it's a little bit different today because uh, Cyril is all dressed in a brand new suit, <laughs> perhaps taking some influence from his old Primor uniform. The suit bears a strikingly high Mandarin collar, a collar uh, of which uh, Edie, his mother, she's not too thrilled about that because uh, today Cyril's going to be interviewing for a new job, a new job over at the uh, Bureau of Standards. An interview, which according to Edie, has been arranged with uh, Uncle Harlow's influence. Called in the favor. Yeah, yeah. An influence that, as she puts it, is something not to be trifled with. Mm-hmm. Well, Edie chastises the high caller, and she calls Cyril an individual, saying that uh, he's not just representing himself today. When Cyril asks her what it is that his caller is saying, she mocks him with, uh, with look at me. I don't believe in myself. I'm desperate for approval. But it's the hollow news in the background that gets Cyril's attention. As the announcer describes a uh, robbery and a terrorist attack on the Imperial Armory at uh, Aldani. The broadcaster goes on to say that there are multiple fatalities and that a blockade order has been issued. When Cyril asks uh, Edie what happened. She snorts that uh, some rabble have attacked the garrison there and she sneers they'll regret it well i mean that if that is not you know playing her cards mm-hmm. you know, Edie is clearly uh pro imperial well she lives fairly high up on coruscant so yeah well she's above ground yeah she is above she ground so to sunlight she well what little there is yeah. or at least on cyril's room anyway Uncle Harlow has been a looming presence without ever having any screen time. And, and it comes around a couple of times in this episode and I'm going to bring it up again a little bit later. Cause I still have questions. That's, that's probably one of my biggest questions is uncle Harlow. I keep saying, you know, maybe we'll get an episode titled uncle Harlow. We probably won't, but maybe he comes to check up. I would like to have at least an appearance by this person so we can finally go, aha, and have our uh, Eureka moment. Sure. I, I think that the the fact that he's uh, been placed in the bureau at the sort of the lowest level of the yeah. bureaucracy of the empire, yep. I think that that puts us with with Uncle Harlow being that moth that we talked about. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think for a second that this bureau isn't a subsect of the empire, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So 
our newscaster, that's Richard Lister. He's actually a former uh, BBC newscaster. He left the BBC back in uh, January of 2020 to become a novelist. Yeah. Hmm. Well, on top of covering conflicts in the Balkans and Iraq, he also covered uh, United States diplomacy, uh, having traveled with uh, three U.S. secretaries of state. Lister was actually based in the U.S. for about 10 years, where he uh, first covered the Clinton administration. And then again, as he uh, covered the election of Barack Obama. Neat. I thought I recognized him when I saw him. I'm like, that guy looks familiar. Um, and yeah, BBC, uh, actual BBC caster. Good for him. Now, is this the first time we're actually seeing like an actual newscast? Uh, because like well, we got like a I, little I ticker tape hollow thing back in The Mandalorian. Sure. But as far as like a typical news broadcast. I think we've seen like- newscasts in Rebels. There's an interesting, yeah. oh, that's true. Were they yeah. done like this? Were they done in this style? Um, not in this style, but I, I think it, I think the one I can recall off the top of my head that it's somebody watching a vid, but we're watching them watch the vid. So we don't get to see the screen, gotcha, but the, gotcha. the voiceover is very reminiscent of it. Like, I mean, you know, I, the, I, just the style of this is the news. Yeah. yeah Here yeah. are the events. I look at him and he looks like a very well-dressed private citizen this does not look like state-run media to me no no this looks very very private you know like this could be pardon the pun but this could be like the cbc news right true which is state-run media but but, (laughs) that's so true that is true yeah and but and and, and, in much the same way you wouldn't have a stormtrooper or an imperial officer necessarily reading the news you would probably have someone trying to make the public feel comfortable yeah, and, that's so true. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. To. Interesting. Very interesting. They pride themselves on that at the Coruscant Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> also, <laughs> the CBC. also the CBC. <laughs> Break it. We cut over to the uh, central office where uh, Dedra is changing her tunic in her office. Apparently, Major Partigas was true to his word about no one going home because uh, we cut to the doorway of the circular briefing room where there is a senior isb officer uh, who's now briefing the the uh, sector supervisors about the aldani attack from the night before it's the usual cast of characters that we've already seen plus a few new faces in the background as it looks like all of the attendants are also present at this meeting what's interesting in this seek uh, this actual scene right here that we're looking at is that major partigas is seated amongst the other sector supervisors but he's not in his usual central seat which has been left open for our uh, mystery officer. Well, the officer says that uh, the criminals responsible for the Aldani attack think that they've taken the Empire by surprise. But he says that the real shock will come when the Empire shows them how ready and eager they are to respond. He continues to exposit how this event is the reason why they plan and work so hard in peacetime. So the only question that anyone needs answering is, how tight do they squeeze their fist? There's that legacy line. As the camera rolls past several familiar faces, the officer moves from the doorway and he begins to circle the table. All the while explaining the new emergency measures that will be enacted empire-wide later that day. Any sectors harboring partisan activity will be levied a tribute tax in the amount of five times what was stolen from Aldani. So if Skeen is to be believed, that amounts to uh, 400 million credits. 
Mm-hmm. Give or take. Yeah, give or take. <laughs> mm-hmm. He adds that uh, the use of any local custom, festival, or tradition as a cover for rebel activity will result in the permanent revocation of imperial tolerance. Mm. Yeah, it reminded me of them using Empire Day right. as their cover in Rebels. And I yeah. went, well, yeah, that's yeah. crafty. We're using their holiday against Absolutely, them. of course. Yeah. Arriving at his seat, we see the familiar and yet new live-action face of Colonel Wolf Yularen. Yularen, the former Republic Navy Admiral, now turned Imperial ISB officer. He says that he spoke with the Emperor personally and that going forward, the ISB will be taking the lead on rebel activity and no one in the room should have any difficulty accessing army or navy assets. He adds that the Emperor will be convening an emergency session of the Senate to introduce a slew of bills and amendments that will, as he puts it, free their hands in all matters of surveillance, search, and seizure. He says that they will be invoking what's called the Public Order Resentencing Directive, or PORD, later that day. A measure that means that any criminal activity that has even an indirect effect on the Empire will now be considered a Class 1 offense. And under the Imperial Penal Code, offenses are broken down into uh, five classes, with Class 1 being the most serious. Mm. Can we go back to that shot of him from behind in the hall? It's that's the one. This one. I mean, that yeah, can't be lost on anyone watching, right? That's he's literally giving the line about how tight do we squeeze our fists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Standing in what looks like a stormtrooper or even more so like Vader's helmet. Vader's helmet. <laughs> especially, <laughs> except the for lines, the fact yeah. that it's white, especially that scene from Revenge of the Sith where they're putting the mask over his face. Oh, yes. Yes, very much so. And I just thought, man, now that's cinematography. Yeah, it's beautiful. All right. He says, uh, yes, talking about the poured uh, class one offense. That means that all prison sentences will be reevaluated. Mm-hmm. While all fines and levies will be paid in full. So no more payment plans on your parking tickets, folks. Yep. <laughs> it in. I want to hold on this for a second because, I mean... I love, I love Star Wars. I love the expanded universe. And if one thing, and we've, we're, we've seen it in uh, canon as well, is that we know that there is corruption from within the empire. So there's a, there's a duality here with what you is saying that not only is he telling the sectors as in the population about what's going to happen, it puts pressure on the supervisors themselves for whatever little personal empires they've been trying to carve out right that nobody yeah that nobody is uh is immune to uh to what's about to happen yeah i mean the idea that uh there are already captains within the navy that are willing to turn a blind eye and let things like a star path unit go out to a shipbreaking yard mm-hmm. eh, we can just let that go you know there's you know that war. indirectly affects the empire is what i mean like profiteering is just the, is like the least of what look at the uh the officer on uh, ferrix who just basically says can i can i be prefect yeah you know what i mean right. like that whole empire building and i mean what kind of weight does it give to that conversation between nemec and and cassian uh you know uh maybe after tomorrow they'll they'll, they'll know who we are they'll cast yeah. says careful what you wish for because right, right. this is what's going to happen. Right, right. 
cool to see you learn uh turn up here um did anybody actually think you learn i know we were kind of blindsided okay, <laughs> i was tarkin. tarkin i was all over tarkin but this and i'm like perfect. this is a this is a rogue one uh, prequel it's gonna be krennic yeah um, is... but does it not make so much more sense now that of course it's you learn <laughs> absolutely is it begs the question in my head is you the head of the isb he's uh, been he served under Palpatine ostensibly since he was a young officer. That's right. When he, right? Like we watched uh, when him. He like Beautiful. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. John Cleese looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then an older John Cleese. <laughs> <laughs> so this is technically the second uh, live action appearance of Yularen as uh, that, that guy from A New Hope was kind of retconned to be Yularen. Right. But this one, this Wolf Yularen is played by uh, Malcolm Sinclair. He was in V for Vendetta, where he played uh, Major Wilson. More interestingly, he played Dryden in uh, Casino Royale. And I don't know if you remember the opening sequence of Casino Royale. It's been a while. So Dryden was the corrupt MI6 agent that became Bond's second kill that got him the double O status. Yeah, so uh, that as well. Uh, Also, no stranger to Star Wars, because Malcolm gave us the voices of Darth Mortis and darth uh, charnas in uh, star wars the old republic so oh, uh, cool welcome home colonel you learn <laughs> after the meeting and uh, back in her office dedra stares out the window while attendant Hirt uh, looks on referring to the events at aldani she calls it just what the rebels want adding that the empire is playing right into their hands now she's quite critical that her superiors are treating this like a robbery when to her, it is clearly part of the pattern that she's already warned them about. And when Heert asks her what she'd call it, it returns from the window and she calls it an announcement. Yep. Now back at the gallery, Luthen fiddles with a knob on his uh, pirate radio as he listens to a robotic voice reporting on the Aldani robbery. In addition to the stolen 80 million credits, the report also notes that uh, all military personnel have been replaced and they are being interrogated by the ISB. Hank, you called it uh, that the Empire might see this as an inside job? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they even go on to say they, they took like 137 civilians in too to question them. Like, it seemed like if there's any sort of... Uh... I mean, at least for them to start poking the bear, to start yeah. looking in, in, the, in that direction... You leave two dead Imperial, you know, uh, stormtrooper sergeant and, and an actual and a, lieutenant, and a lieutenant uh, yeah. dead on the floor of a robbery. It's going to look strongly. And I, th- uh, and I think this yeah. is the, the whole point of Deidre is that Deidre is going to be the one that 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 exposes it for what it is, which is a highly interconnected web of, uh, of rebel strikes on, on high yeah. target yeah. things to acquire, uh, you know, uh, ways of combating the Empire building a rebellion i have one more question about this about the implication of this and it's kind of dark did cinta kill the family i think they i think i said that 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 very episode i think she did there were tears in her eyes as she blended into the crowd as she kind of wandered away yeah and i think that you know that that's a little way of softening the character but they they made a point of hitting us over the head by first of all skiing telling us her background and yep. therefore why she would be so cold and yep. then then doubling down on saying she's the the most ruthless of us all and then oh, yeah. having her be the first person in the group to kill somebody uh, uh yeah walks the like a duck talks like a duck yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
okay fair enough that's a that's a plus one for did it yeah <laughs> andy what do you think uh i'm still on the fence just because we got that uh really great visual of the freighter flying out and the yeah. family still sitting there in the control room watching so was Cinta still yeah at that well, point that's that's the big question yeah frame right she's not in frame so did that's she did she true. wander away while they were down in the vault or did they get to see it and then behind and the then camera, she left. she just unloaded on all four it could have been it, an off camera i mean i hate to say this but it's not good business to leave those people alive them. having no, seen all your faces you're right you're right because yeah. anybody else as i said here in my notes with the exception of the family anybody that could have given any indication or insight they're dead yeah mm-hmm. like if any of Kim, the uh kimsey uh, kimsey and all the troopers that were down in the basement right. uh, playing right. cards they're all they're all dead there was three that tech well if they survived the uh the blast off right yeah there was three that got knocked oh out. right those and guys if those three are still alive they're gonna say gorn did it i believe that i do so, believe that that's again, right right point them in the wrong direction yeah, yeah. But. as uh jay hole was uh having an the giant jammer yeah <laughs> and they might even think that the the uh the colonel was in on it too because he didn't actually he had the he heart attack before he could say right. he couldn't answer answer them answer one way or the so other i mean <laughs> from their perspective it, it certainly sure, looked sure. like Gordon well, wouldn't that add a for... whole layer if the next time, let's say, let's presume for a moment that the family survived and the next time we see them, that they're in some sort of detention facility. Room or right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That'll add a whole new twist in the cell next to Cassian. <laughs> the robotic voice adds that uh, tracking devices on the ship, the Rono freighter, uh, were disabled before they jumped to hyperspace, but 134 Aldani residents have been taken into custody under yeah. the suspicion of abetting the terrorists that's more than double the number right of people that showed up so yeah, that yeah, wasn't lost just, on me at all did they just pick a bunch up at the comfort the comfort stops on the way up the hill uh, everyone that they could probably find you know probably, like that, yeah, that might yeah. that number might even be modest yeah because goran said there's like 60 or so but they might pick up a few more and oh that's right double yeah, yeah and certainly not in the time that it took for the for, for the sun to go down yeah. yeah 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 right all right a chime rings out, and Luthen quickly stashes the pirate radio while Clea opens the uh, sliding door from the front of the gallery. She announces that Mon Mothma is there, and uh, with his back uh, to her, Luthen smirks as he says, without warning, and chuckling. Now, this is interesting. Clea is actually laughing. Now, they can't see each other. Mm-hmm. She laughs as she tells him to wipe the smile off his face. And I cannot help but think that this is an inside joke between the two of them that right. they know that she's going to be pissed. Yeah, it, it certainly feels that way. It, it, it Like you had speculated, I'm, I'm like, who is in charge here? It's certainly, yeah. you know. Is um, he the top dog? Lauren certainly had the authority to tell me to wipe the smile off my face <laughs> a few Absolutely. times. So, but it, it, it begs the question, uh, is, is Clea the one actually in charge there's a tension I, I, maybe i'm bringing this up too soon but i'll bring it up now because it's fresh in my mind there's a tension between clea and the interaction that she has later with mm-hmm. Vel. i agree there is every possibility that this is a second wife for luthan that this is not because i still i've i've yeah. doubled down this week that i firmly believe that Vel, the, there, the young stepmom a, vibe yeah i got right. that too there's yeah. a familial connection here between vel and luthan yeah I got that i'm too. going i have said father daughter i can't see it being anything else and if clea is like 
like you say, the younger stepmom, it would mm-hmm. explain some of the tension that they have during that conversation, which she will talk about. You know, Val certainly mm-hmm. shares that ability to uh, dress nicer, you know, like blend in with yeah. the, the Ritz. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So on the platform outside the gallery, Chloris, the Senate driver, hands Mon Mothma the box containing the borrowed divinity. She tells Luthen that uh, she should have called ahead, but they were on their way to the Senate and they just happened to stop by. Well, they enter the gallery and before the door can even shut. So the door is open and she hisses at him. Was this you? Yeah. Let's hope Clovis can't read lips, eh? Well, here's the thing. This is, this is what I was getting at. Like, she is so mad that she hasn't even waited for the door to close before she's dropped it and she's on him. Yeah. Like, that should tell you how angry she is. Yeah, During the absolutely. scene, both of them, they're super careful to keep their back to him and, like, you know, trying to conceal oh, yeah, facial yeah, yeah, expressions, yeah. especially Luthen. Like, mm-hmm. if he's not looking, he can deviate. But as soon as he's looking, he's got that goofy smile, shop owner look on his oh, face. Oh, sure. Again. I actually, I criticized myself as I was watching this and as I was preparing for tonight's show because I I didn't pick up on it uh, the first time around, but she's returning that that divinity, that two-faced, yeah, the the serpent and then the, the light god. And we'd sort of, you know, brushed the broad strokes that it was an analogy and a metaphor for the rebellion in the empire, but like, it's literally Luthen and Mon Mothma. Right. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like this, yes. this opposing ideology that we're going to be exposed to here in a second, which puts Luthen way more in the camp of someone like Saw Gerrera. That's exactly what I was just going to yeah. say. Like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. difference between the average rebel and a, an actual partisan willing to do right. whatever it takes. And you, well, I do get those vibes off of him. Yeah, uh, me too. You know, especially when he drops his continent, his countenance, his, his especially cover. in the line that he's about to deliver here, because like she says, she says, was this you? And uh, he kind of laughs and he, uh, what does he say here? Luthen facing the glass in front of the gallery with Chloris just beyond. He keeps up his appearances by overacting his friendly, if not mildly eccentric curator role. And he says, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And then uh, she says, I was worried you would do something like this. And he laughs back at her and he's like, I wish I had. And to me, that's like saying, I wish I was there mm-hmm. because if I was a younger man or anybody else, I might have been right. Yeah. 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 And therein that whole, that militancy, like, oh yeah, he, he's a, he's a doer, you know? Yeah. Ushering the Senator away from the front entrance. Luthen continues the ruse by putting on some white gloves to pick up the Powan monk cudgel. But now that the two of them are safely out of Chloris's earshot, uh, they begin to argue back and forth. Uh, Mon Mothma doesn't believe that Luthen wasn't involved, while Luthen counters that revolutions are expensive. She tries to tell him that she's doing all she can, but he's really dismissive of her, and he says that, while well, your version of all you can seems to be bringing in someone else to help you access your family funds. Uh, well, at that, Mon Mothma is absolutely convinced that Luthen was responsible for Aldani. Mm-hmm. And Luthen, keeping up the dismissiveness, reminds her that she was well aware of the risks that were involved at the outset. Well, Mon Mothma has this like fearful quiver where, like, you see her face, like, as she's yeah. like, Do you realize what you've done? Like, she is hats off to Genevieve O'Reilly for that, that bit of like, 
conveyance there because I totally bought into it that she's like freaked the F out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, <laughs> do you realize what you have done? But Luthen craftily, he just changes the subject. I thought you were here to tell me about the meeting. And she says, well, it's tonight, but they may reschedule. Well, turning away from her to uh, pick up the cudgel, Luthen becomes very stern, almost angry when he says that uh, he warned her when they started. Mon Mothma says that they were supposed to be building a network, but he cuts her off very sharply asking, what were my words? Mm-hmm. She infers that the incident at Aldani is something else, but Luthen fires back angrily, turning back will be impossible, and that she always knew where this was headed. Picking up the cudgel, he turns to face her again, and uh, half-assed slipping back into his eccentric act, he metaphorically asks, has anyone ever made a weapon they didn't use, as he uh, presents it to her? Uh, But then he lowers his voice again, and uh, he says that the network has been built, and it either grows or it dies. Yeah, it's not the first time they drop that line. They drop that line. Yeah, yeah. That's a couple times. times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, In in like slightly different. uh, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other one is Deirdre. From the back room, Clea, who's eavesdropping electronically, some kind of speaker. That that worried me a little. That she's eavesdropping. Yeah, I I got a creepy vibe off that. Like, uh, yeah, it's a little weird. Like, again, she's, it calls she's been that. in the room while they've had these conversations. There's yeah, no reason yeah, for her yeah. not to be for in the room. Yeah, Luthen tells Mon Mothma that they've waited long enough, and uh, Mon cryptically asks, "You realize what you've set in motion?" And Luthen answers her with, "It was time for that as well." There's an implication here that there are two distinct things happening. I presume the the rebellion to be the obvious one. What is the other thing that he's implying? Mm. Did you guys pick up on that? I'm not sure. That's that's a good yeah. that's a good ask. Yeah. I Anybody mean, do have any ideas? <laughs> Anybody who's watching live with us right now, if you guys picked up on that that Luthen is suggesting that there are two distinct things happening here. Thoughts, ideas? Send us your comments and let us know. Is it maybe just like the uh, the veil coming off the empire that he's implying? I don't know. I, I honestly don't to, know. Like, flex their muscle in front of the entire galaxy. So my my initial thought was, is she talking about the timeline? Like, and this is me just sort of assuming a lot of things. Like, we know that she's going to leave the Senate. We also know that she doesn't leave the Senate until the Gorman massacre. Right. So that's still a little ways off, but I wondered if, if what they're talking about pertains to, she laid out a timeline for her exit and that what Luthen has done now accelerates that. It's quite possible. I don't know. Is it conflict with her plans, which maybe nobody's happy when that happens. No, of course. Certainly her, her daughter's got to be on her mind. Lita. uh, In her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, back up front, Mon Mothma says that uh, Palpatine won't hesitate now. And Luthen exclaims, exactly, lowering his voice again. Luthen adds that uh, they need the fear and they need the Empire to overreact. Mm -hmm. When she retorts, you can't be serious. He tells her that the Empire has been choking them so slowly that they've started not to notice. I love that line so much. has come to force their hand. That line is so good. Wow. Uh, Nemec had, had insinuated the same thing when he was going through, you know, the 40 small atrocities, you know, as opposed to one giant one. Right. Yeah. It's the frog in the pot. 
Yeah, exactly. Boiling so slow, you don't realize it. Mon says that people will suffer. And quite stoically, Luthen looks directly at her and says, that's the plan. <laughs> it's like, a cold how freaking plan. sinister is that? Just uh, <clears throat> for those of you who are watching, whether you're watching us uh, live now or in the replay, take a look at Luthen's, uh, his eyes in that. And like, Hank, you said it before. Does he not give off some Palpatine vibes? It like, certainly does. Yeah. Oh. It's more than just the wig there too. Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm point of view for sure. I, I've said it and it's a weird thing and I, I, I won't get into the context I've said it, but I, I've, I've said often if you're going to defeat a monster you need to become a monster. The bigger monster. Right. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, turning to place the, uh, the cudgel back onto the rest, he says you're not mad at me. I'm just saying out loud what you already know. And uh, he adds that uh, going forward there will be no rules. Coldly, he tells her, if you're not willing to risk your conscience, then surrender and be done with it. <laughs> Taking off the gloves and with mm. his head hanging heavy, Luthen uh, kind of gets a little quiet here and he says that they need every credit that they can get their hands on. He tells Mon to uh, let him know how the, the meeting goes. And then the two slip fully back into their characters as Mon Mothma says that uh, she won't be taking either piece today. And as she leaves the gallery, Luthen bids her always at your service, Senator. As he watches her get into the limo, she stares coldly back at him. Then as the gallery door closes, Clea, who's now uh, moved up to the back counter, says, I hope she's worth it. And Luthen answers, well, we'll see, won't we? And then Luthen watches as the limo pulls away, remarking, we can't hide forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So what a, there's a couple scenes in this that are just like super powerful that way where like, there's, I mean, this sequence was nothing but a, a bunch yeah. of like double entendre yeah. metaphor, uh, metaphor, rich. <laughs> well, certainly the, the sentiment that, that you can't hide from the empire is, is echoed, especially yeah. in the Mar yeah, yeah. the Marva scene that's coming up. We got a, some new addition. I won't call them. There is a new addition. There's a couple new things going on in the gallery this week, which, mm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. is the, uh, the, the Star Wars treasure trove, as I like to call it. Oh, man. Um, we get our best look at the uh, Keldor breathing uh, apparatus um, that people are still saying is Plo Koon's, although I still question that uh, because of the fiery explosion that he died <laughs> in. Unless it's made of Beskar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sitting right beside the cudgel, though, was a pair of, like, crazy armored claw gauntlets that um are massive i went down I a rabbit hole no <laughs> i went down a crazy glove rabbit hole i was um, looking at yushan vong armor and the uh i found i found a legends reference to uh vader's right hand glove being made of beskar oh and be, wow being a mandalorian what they call a, a crush gaunt um, okay yeah, yeah. I, I i found a, an entire website dedicated to the uh the buffs of all the different gloves you can wear oh, sure in, sure uh knights of the old, knights republic, of the old republic yeah yeah, uh, yeah it was just a list of <laughs> you could just you could be there for a long time but i literally couldn't find anything that that screamed <laughs> this is this item this is what it is in the moment as i'm staring at this i just had a thought i don't know why it didn't come to me the other day but remember um uh, Mark Singer's movie, The Beast Master. Yes. Yeah. Remember the guy in the dungeon 
the guy ooh, that they uh, ended up, <laughs> it kind of looks like the gloves that he was wearing. Well, it's quite possible. In a way. Yeah, anyway. the closest thing I could find was like an old Japanese dragon claw glove. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. It does, it's not the same. It just looks like it could be part of the lineage. It's uh, It definitely has sort of gladiator vibes going on, yeah. but then the, the claws this, are like, yeah. Oof. There's also like, and they didn't get into like super detail, but there's just a, yeah. a bevy of... Uh, references to armor that the Sith would wear throughout history. Mm-hmm. And they tended to armor up more than the Jedi. So it, it kind of struck me as, yeah. as maybe something along those lines. I didn't get a shot of it this week, but there um, we got to see the, the profile of the, of, the, of the carbonite slabs. There is no denying that is the idol. But, okay, but I also wanted to add, there is, a, there is a, a scene where looking at the second one that we're presuming is the idol, there's a body. There's hands and like knees sticking out of it, like it's laying on its back. Oh wow! So maybe some uh, artistic liberties. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but I think the most exciting one. Oh yeah. The most exciting thing that we got this week was a live-action depiction of the uh, Jedi Temple Guard helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some people were saying that the the bracers that were laying there beside it may also be part of the same ceremonial well, garb but i was i, I mean, was totally uh fixated on the by the helmet yeah <laughs> um so it, it it brings me full circle to that question i had in the second episode yeah. which is is luthan has a, a that is pretty... not an object the empire lets you have well that's yeah. like so either yeah, he's this is object. an illegal shop or it's or it's a knockoff and i i just i don't Maybe, maybe, so I, you know, your wheels start to turn. Maybe it's enough for the empire to yeah, go. Yeah. The the relics have been reduced to just trinkets that people purchase. Yeah. But I still feel like they, you know, um, I think it's canon. It's there's a gray area in the comic. Masamita burns Yoda's lightsaber. Oh, right, right, right. And they make so they like they destroy the Jedi. They 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 dismantle everything, like to the point where we're. <clears throat> 20 years in the future at one point going people don't know that jedi even existed that's right i mean they were they right? went we assume they went through great lengths to uh erase them from history yeah so it, again it begs the question like how deep is this cover like like is this yeah, an illegal yeah, yeah. Uh, an illegal you know pawn shop or or item shop like for where the, where the super elite because those things exist, right? We're, it just seems you know, like it's in the wrong place, though. Like, right? You know, it's above right. ground. It's brightly lit. It's right. in a nice neighborhood. Like, right? It's not the Mogwai shop from Gremlins. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. So then my head automatically <laughs> yeah. goes, "Okay, these are knockoffs." Man, yeah, it's like maybe. such a big question for such a small. You know, item. I'm, we can hang on this for a while if you want to, but I mean, Star Wars has already, especially with the sequel trilogy, has given us a lot of new applications of the force and star Wars has done that star. Every star Wars movie has given us a new application of the force that we never saw before. It's true. And the one that I'm referring to now is Luke Skywalker's ability to sever his connection from the force. Mm-hmm. You'd said it before, Hank is Luthan a Jedi. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> is he a Jedi who severed his connection to the force? Was he I mean, a temple guard? And I mean, and here's an, inter- here's an interesting add on. We've never really followed a Jedi who's been on the edge. They were either a Jedi or they were a Sith. There was nobody right. sort of, you know, the closest we got was Mark Hamill or sorry, Luke Skywalker contemplating, do I kill my nephew? And then he didn't. 
You know, he no, had the temptation true. and then he stopped. But we've never I mean, been down the road of someone who was on the edge where they're like they could turn. When I was young, I I, I wondered why is Luke wearing black in mm. Return of the Jedi when mm. yeah, clearly yeah. there's a precedent for not wearing black. You know, yeah, um, yeah. which was just canonized in the Star Wars comic number twenty eight. Uh, it just can't, can't they literally canonized the reason. Luke uh, dresses like an Imperial officer to infiltrate, to get out a couple of defectors to, to rescue oh, them. Oh, wow. Okay. And the, the female defector comments that look, Luke looks good in that uniform. And oh. when you, you, you look at the Imperial dark Imperial uniform next to sure. Luke's black Jedi it's very close. jumpsuit, it's so super close. Especially with the flap to, now. <laughs> right. They seem, but yeah. you know, there's, I mean, when you talk about aspects of the force, especially with helmets and, and again, in the comics, guys read the comics, um, Vader, you know, puts a helmet from a Sith Lord from the past on, right. on an Imperial officer. And he's possessed by that Sith Lord. Oh yeah. And that guy builds Vader's castle for him. Like, yeah. so there, I mean, this I'm just going to borrow your body for a while. This could be something huge <laughs> just sitting in the background yeah, there. Yeah. And we really need to have a role-playing game based on, on, on some of these things that we're seeing in this, this show. I mean, if we really want to go and, and just like wildly throw stuff at the wall, we could just, you know, throw it out there that this might be the Grand Inquisitor's helmet. I mean, <laughs> man. <laughs> Here's your wild one. Luther sure, sure. a temple guard and he's doing this because he's mad. That's not so wild in, in what we're proposing though. That that's no. my point. Exactly. Like if right. Luke Skywalker can cut himself off from the force and, you know, and not, and throw himself into the nowhere in the galaxy to avoid temptation, could somebody do the same, cut themselves off and fight their yeah. own war in a different way? I mean, Cal Castus did it as well. So there's, of there's double did, precedent yeah. there. So. Yeah. 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 He could be walking down the same road as Darth Maul, right? Like the Empire is his adversary, so it doesn't matter right, if right, he's right. Jedi or Sith. No. Because he's seeking revenge. That's right. Like they're seeking to undo the Empire. Yeah. 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 Tony Gilroy. <laughs> <laughs> questions, questions. Questions. Uh, I know. All right. We cut to an aerial shot of uh the Coruscant cityscape where we uh, are looking down at uh, some of the smaller buildings if you can believe that mm-hmm. uh where we can also hear a man talking about how people think they're kidding when they say that there are no small jobs at the bureau of standards we then cut to an interior of a cavernous building with endless rows of octagonal workstations that are very reminiscent of the interior of a beehive mm-hmm. where cyril karn uh, walks with an older man the man's name is flob F-L-O-B, Flob. And he's interviewing Cyril for his new job. Flob continues uh, that he spoke with Uncle Harlow and admits that while other jobs may seem more exciting from the outside, if you ask any career employee, you'll be surprised. Right, right. <laughs> I, I can't stop laughing at this. Um, When we talk about the bureau and i'm going to bring this is kind of funny but just like pedantically speaking when we talk about the federal bureau of investigation how is that abbreviated fbi bureau of standards how is that abbreviated mm-hmm. bs bs mm-hmm. oh yeah cyril karn is wearing a brown suit 
in the BS. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I can't stop. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I think the real question, though, is there another flob? <laughs> I'd like to talk to you. And flob? Well, this is the other thing, right? Like, so, I mean, fans of of any role-playing game, you may be familiar with the, the phrase, there are no bobs. Mm-hmm. I think we just met our Star Wars bob. Yeah. And it's flob. The, the necktie, everything. <laughs> Everything's Oh perfect. my God. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this, the show has gone through great lengths to, to show us the, the everyday and the mundane, the mundane. and the, oh and the personal God, yeah. views of the average, you know, and, and here we are at the lowest, ostensibly the lowest levels. I mean, sure. We could actually yeah, talk yeah, to yeah. an Imperial janitor. But ostensibly the lowest <laughs> levels of the empire. That was fitting. right in the bureaucracy. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 this the, Mr. Flob here is so sincerely proud of his station. He's, yeah, oh yeah. Like like you know, you get the feeling that it's be. you know it's taken him every second of his entire existence to get to where he is right now. Right, right. <laughs> and it's an literally the, the, space, the but... empire is so uh, yeah. vast, so big that how could it not? How could it turn? without all these tiny cogs and yet it it has to it has to yeah because like the hive aspect of the whole place like yes it's cubicles but it's on an empire-wide scale yeah 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 well flob takes a look down at his uh pad that he's carrying and he's quite surprised as he remarks morlana one do we think that the pad is cyril's resume because and I, I asked this would you would you put that on your resume oh by the way i was employed by the Primore, you know security company and i was posted to morlana one and then i got fired would you no, put that I, on your resume I probably wouldn't i mean not not in light of the uh like be very like summarily right. removed from the position like i think that's probably uh he's an imperial bureaucrat he's got access to the yeah. information especially new hires well, and you got to you got to think that mom was completely yeah. open and honest with Uncle Harlow, of course, right? So you know, I don't, <laughs> you know, she seems bent on shaming him, and this if, is a good way to shame him. Is if Uncle Harlow you. is what we think he might be, then certainly right. it could be within his uh, his power to mm-hmm. acquire said information. That being said. Do we think that the information on that pad is notes or an email from Uncle Harlow? Or is it just like a standard thing now? Because like we're past Revenge of the Sith, the Empire's in full swing, and they want everybody accounted for. Right. And accounting for what they've done, where they've been, who they might have ticked off. Maybe. So even I mean, if you screw up, it's going on your file. It was on your personal you, record. Yeah, you got to figure this is better than a jail sentence in light of what's you know. Uh, well, the yeah, the, alter- right the alternative, sure, sure it is. Right. I'm going to add one more layer here because uh, in this sequence, the descriptive audio, the descriptive audio actually refers to Flob as a corporate functionary. Hmm. Corporate, not government. Does that mean that the Bureau is another outsourcing? Is this still another aspect of the corporate authority? And if it is, does that mean that Uncle Harlow is a high-ranking bureaucrat within the corporate authority? Hmm. 
Hmm. I, see, now, I, I never got the impression that the Empire didn't run the corporate, uh, the primors, if you will. But what I, what I got the impression was that they had um, absorbed them into their fold, and as yeah. long as it was working, they weren't going to change anything. So I feel like this is probably part of the machine that, that existed during that. the re Republic. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And rather than completely revolutionize economy and, and taxation and, and the, the way things are, are done, we're just going to absorb them into the fold and Building now we're under new you know, management just, and, and we just add empire rolling. at the end of whatever it used to say well that's know? a good point that you do bring that up because i was going to say the empire if nothing else was famous for slap a new name on it and carry on right right but really like just change the symbol a little that's, <laughs> let's move i don't forward. feel like that's the case here i don't feel mm. like i feel like if this was I, maybe I'm just fixated on it for the wrong reasons, but when he says corporate functionary, that that still says private to me. That doesn't say government. But you know, potato, potato. I don't know. These are the bean counters of the star. Absolutely. Wars. In the in the bigger scheme, I don't think it means a whole lot, but it it, it does make you kind of go, hmm. I don't know. Another level know. of cogs in the machine. Yeah, yeah. If anything, though, I think we at this point we can safely say like Harlow not not a crime boss i no. i tend to agree not a crime boss <laughs> i tend to agree that's i'm going Some to punish my my silly ranking. my silly sister's uh son by putting him at the lowest common yeah. denominator yeah. i could find yeah. for him let him work his way back up and, and i honestly i i think now that deidre is in charge of the system and spoiler sorry yeah <laughs> yep. um i really think that's what's going to put her in direct contact with Cyril with him oh absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah, the unfiltered reports are going to have his name all absolutely, over and therefore yeah. that's he. She's his ticket out, and her ticket in, if you will. Well, I mean, the next line. I mean, he's about to explain because you know at the th at the when Flob uh, remarks about Morlana one, Cyril acknowledges him with a yes, and then he goes on to explain. <clears throat> there is a rebel murderer running free because of a laxity and security within the corporate authority. Right. He says Tells the truth. Was, yeah. <laughs> he says he was punished for trying to uphold the law to do his job and maintain public safety. Right. He adds that two coworkers are dead because of it. And he believes that there are laws for a reason. And he intends to clear his name and have his record expunged. So there is a record. Right. There, well, absolutely. I mean, there's like, a record for sure. There is. Yeah. 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 Or not. It's a fully criminal record, but it's a definite service record or something. Well, I'm mm -hmm. thrown off. I'm kind of thrown off here because Flob says, and quite cheerfully, by the way, oh, why don't we start that right now? <laughs> they start walking down the hallway or that that uh, that uh, um, platform a little bit more. And uh, Flob, he starts looking at the pad and he says, well, it's probably best for everyone if we edit this down a bit before we sign you in. So does that mean they're going to like strike Morlana one from that like that goes back to the is this his resume maybe mm. and i mean it's everybody possible. knows everybody knows what happened on Morlana one and you know he even makes a point of i'm sure your uncle would approve so again like is he helping him or not like i'm just i'm a little confused at what's going on here with flob being the situation they're in i think he's helping him because okay. like you just told me there's like corruption yeah standards yeah. guy i need laws upheld sure sure let's make sure that happens okay okay mm -hmm. 
Well, Flob remarks that uh, uh, that this is a fresh start with a new beginning as the two men stop in front of an empty workstation. Looking at Cyril, Flob says that they just happen to have an immediate opening in fuel purity, and he would hate for Cyril to miss his chance. <laughs> Our man Flob is played by uh, actor Alex Blake, who you may recognize as uh, Petrovich from uh, Chernobyl. Lots of Chernobyl actors turning Lots. up in this, yes, in this sir. Uh, series. Yeah, yeah. All right. Elsewhere on Coruscant, a uh, public train pulls up uh, to a transit station and passengers begin to debark, including a disguised Clea. She's now dressed in uh, much simpler attire with her hair uh, let down and a hood pulled up over her head. And as she steps off the uh, train, she pauses for a moment to examine a holographic map before she heads off. Um, you guys pick up on this is another reuse of the McLaren Technology Center. Totally, yep. This is the spaceport where Cyril came in. Yep. Only now we're on the upper level. Huge, huge money saver. I do like the way that they did it, though. I, I love the reuse of it. And again, if you're going to reuse assets that way, does it not make sense in the Empire where everything is like prefab stamp? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One garrison looks like the interior of every Star Destroyer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, at a workstation near the edge of the platform stand two droids. I haven't, I, I kind of sat on this one for a while looking at these things. I have no idea what they are. I don't think no. we've seen them before. I kind of call them the, the beaker droid with the big, <laughs> the, the guppy lip on them. Yeah. I don't know what they are. The plain silver screams, you know, like 1950s flash Gordon kind of sure. Rogers era robots. Beedy, beedy, I think beedy. they're cool. Yeah, I, I think they're super cool, but no idea. Yeah. Um, I presume that they are just some kind of third class droid that's performing functions pertaining to the transit yeah. system. Like Probably a protocol droid after a fashion. Sure. Ticket sales, general information about the, the train, maybe. Yeah. But we also see a man who's dressed in a gray uniform. And uh, part of that uniform is a, a very distinctive helmet um that i said is very akin to the rebel fleet trooper helmet as well yeah. as the new republic uh correctional yeah. corps i want to call this guy a transit cop because i don't see what other reason he'd be there yeah. but yeah um yeah transit cop mm. and I, I thought it was fun i pulled this together did a little comparison a little helmet study here because i find this stuff kind of fascinating um so of course we have our our course on transit cop uh, versus our Alderanian uh, palace guard, our uh, rebel trooper, and of course the uh, New Republic Correctional Corps. Virtually all, I mean, the, the Alderan palace guard is probably the most um, um, diverse. Yeah, uh, well, or, see, or until, the new, until the New Republic, I always assumed that they were Alderaan-based. Well, I, and it makes sense. I, I always assumed none of the other so rebels... You know, the, the rebels we encounter on Endor, the rebels we encounter on Scarif, yep. all sort of dress more like uh, traditional uh, Earth-based military, you know, yep. camos and, and packs. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah standard do. helmets, you know. Um, they do. So I, and and then like, I thought that kind of was doubled down on by having the guards uh, wear that helmet in, in Kenobi. So the, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. this almost... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what to think in terms it's of It's kind of weird anymore. because, like, yeah. you know, we talked about, we talked offline before the show uh, tonight 
And we talked about, you know, could this just be like an iteration of the Imperial Navy trooper? And I, I, mean, I felt like that too. I, I admit that the Navy trooper and the, the, well, say the fleet trooper, I believe that from a prop making perspective that they started life from the same mold, but sure, they are so different in the back end and the flares on the, I should have put that, a picture of the, of sort the, of the say it, on. the droids remind me of the, the Death Star gunners with the, with the blast with shield the closed. Flipped the, up. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Helmet. yeah. Yeah. Weird looking things anyway. Yeah, but anyway, they all come from the same vast space pro. Well, this is the thing. Like, that's why I'm, and I even said that. I'm like, is this just an off the, off the shelf thing that yeah. wasn't made specifically for anybody? Yeah. Why are they yeah. all so aerodynamic? It's space for God's <laughs> sake. So sakes. they can <laughs> run quicker. I thought I saw this guy on, uh, on a bicycle race. Right. Right. <laughs> Tour de Coruscant. Exactly. <laughs> We got our first bit of language this week, and it uh, comes from the uh, just above the doors to the train that actually says, uh, please mind the gap as the doors are closing. Thanks, Andy, for doing that for us no this problem. week. It looks really good. Yeah. Bing bong. Just a little basic, you know, subway car type thing. And it's and it's written, it's so British. Mind the gap. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mind the gap. <laughs> the red zone is for the loading and unloading of passengers. Right. <laughs> Well, Clea makes her way out of the transit station down a long corridor. Along the way, she passes a uh, squad of stormtroopers. Our first stormtroopers. Uh, uh, yeah, along with an Imperial officer. She reaches a junction where she uh, hangs a left and passes a holographic display that flashes a couple of messages. One is an advertisement for uh, snack food, Tasty Pizzos, while the other one is a government directive reminding citizens to carry their chain code. We've seen that. Right. And we've seen chain codes before when they were uh, uh, introduced back in uh, the Bad Batch. Yeah. Nice to see that consistency here. Outside the train station, Clea crosses a plaza to a long bridge leading to a much less uh, densely populated area. At the top of a ramp, she pauses to let a couple of people uh, pass by. And by the way, anybody uh, else pick up on this was the same area where Cyril went home to his mother's apartment? It looked close to Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Um, she lets a couple of people pass by before she looks down to, dis- to see a very distinctive chalk marking on the yeah. ground, a clear signal to the right person, of course, which she is. Does that look like a loth cat to anyone else? Oh, now that you say that yeah with the ears on it <laughs> yeah that's good yeah that's good. it was rem- or for me anyway kind of reminiscent of uh independence day resurgence oh okay where they all drawing the circle with the line through it oh if that's also looking at it that way that's also and then interesting. Uh, the movie with will smith what was it? enemy of the state oh my gosh yeah yeah he's doing the mark on the side of the uh yeah the newspaper box yes all right well back at the central office uh dedra barges into what i want to call a records office it's got two more of those droids probably the same two from the transit station but um she catches attendant felzonis who's asleep at his post the man jumps to attention and uh, Mm -hmm. after telling felzonis to fix his uniform dedra says that she needs a multi-sector data blend that goes back two years and cross-references Imperial naval bases and repair yards against any missing communications, navigation, and targeting equipment. Uh, Felzonis kind of swallows as he nods, uh-huh, 
when uh, he asks Dedra for which star system that she's interested, uh, he's a little dismayed when she says all systems. And she tells him that uh, this report is to be kept confidential and to be sent exclusively to her office. And she demands his discretion in the matter and then orders him to get started. Felzonis uh, is played by uh, actor uh, Raghavan Vasan, who's had a ton of, uh, of roles on British television. However, you may have seen him in the live-action Dumbo, where he played the nephew of uh, Pramesh, the snake charmer. Still got to watch that one. Uh, it's not bad. It's all right. Back on Aldani, Sinta, who's now out of her imperial disguise, uncovers what appears to be some kind of uh, makeshift uh, folded-up speeder. Uh, when a looming shadow blocks out the daylight, she stops what she's doing uh, to look up, only to see a Star Destroyer with a TIE Fighter escort uh, pass overhead. You want to say announcement? <laughs> well, there's the blockade that uh, that was talked about. Yeah. Back on Coruscant, Clea arrives at her meeting place, and surprisingly, Vel is there waiting for her. I was caught off guard by uh, me too. her appearance. Like, me too. Is that... Well, now she's dressed very fashionably, complete with a full hairstyle and makeup. And like from a distance, as you say, Andy, you're like, who the heck is that? Yeah. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. So, I mean, the first time through, I watched on my phone, which is very tiny. Sure. Four in the morning. And I I thought Kalia might have been Leia um, from some of the shots. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really did until... She got here and started speaking. I thought, oh, wow, we're, we've really gone someplace cool. Yeah. Uh, not that this yeah, yeah. isn't very cool. Well, I mean, do you guys remember the figures? Was it three months that they said uh, the preparation for the Aldani mission? Yeah. Right. That means that Vel has been, at, clearly Vel has a life mm-hmm. here on Coruscant. Right. So she's had to explain to someone or many someones where she's been for three months. So for yeah. her to turn up here dressed like a socialite or like a high class citizen is like whoa, right? Didn't see that coming. It it lends uh, weight to the our theory that she may be Lucian's daughter. Yeah, yeah. Well, Vel coldly asks, "Where is he?" And Clea tells her that uh, even she shouldn't be there. Adding that neither of them should. Vel tells Clea that the money is safe. While Clea says that she knows because it's already been moved. Um, but they, she and Luthen, are worried about the Rono freighter. Vel tells her plainly that it's been buried and it's gone for good. But Kalea pushes her. Are you sure? Well, Vel insists that it is. And uh, Kalea looks away for a moment before she looks back at Vel and says, he read your message. Vel remarks that uh, she really thought that he'd be there. But Kalea coldly tells her that while every loss is different, they're all the same. And uh, she tells Vel and us as the audience that she personally recruited Terramin and that uh, he, along with Nemec and Gorn, will all be remembered. Well, with a bit of a sideways look, Vel questions, that's it? And Kalea says that uh, Luthen actually had doubts about Skeen, but his death is now one less thing to worry about. Looking away from Kalea, Vel asks if she's heard from Sinta. Uh, but Kalea pointedly tells her, she is doing what she was told. Um, there's a tone, there's a distinctive tone here in Clea's yeah. voice. A little bit of yeah. admonishment. Um, 
is she telling is she trying to say that vel maybe isn't doing as she's told like is there something else going on there i kind of read into it like that she's aware of the relationship and that that's not appropriate oh that's an interesting angle too mm. that they should not be romantically yeah 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 that's it that's entirely possible too or is there some other task that she's supposed to be completing off world right now i don't know uh, clearly there's something else for Cinta. that's why Cinta never left everybody left uh eldani and i mean the way that the whole the operation rolled out it looks like Cinta was never meant to leave yeah so right. there must be something left undone for her to do because it's gonna get there or elsewhere tough to get off planet now well with the blockade there you go yeah 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 all right with uh sorry where are we at here um <clears throat> Well, then her tone changes as Kalea blurts out that uh, receiving messages is just as dangerous as sending them, and Vel should keep that in mind. But then she changes the direction of the conversation, telling Vel that they have a loose end in the form of Cassian Andor, whom she knows as Clem. She tells Vel that she has to find him, but Vel corrects her by saying, you mean kill him. Clea then takes a step forward and she tells her that they can't have him running around with Luthen in his head, adding mm-hmm. that this is what revolution looks like. Mm-hmm. Clea finishes by telling Vel that she'll send whatever information they have on Cassian and then walks away, leaving Vel standing there alone with her thoughts. Um, this almost parallels, I mean, certainly not, in the subject, but in tone of the exchange that we just saw uh, Luthen have with Mon Mothma. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, this is where, I mean, I, wa- I watched it and I think I messaged you guys immediately. I'm like, there's no way that she's not his daughter. <laughs> <laughs> there's no way I thought he'd be here. Like, you, someone's got daddy issues. <laughs> yeah. He and maybe rightly message. so. May, yeah, yeah, exactly. Here, go steal this for me. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah. Send your own daughter out there three months planning an operation that she may never come back from. That would be an argument against Luthien being a Jedi. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. We'll put the kibosh on that thought. All right. Back on Eldani, Cinta races down a mountain slope on her uh, makeshift uh, scooter, speeder, speeder scooter. Um, but to where she's going is anyone's guess. Uh, I like the speeder design here. I, I found it, uh, very cool, very, uh, like garage kind of cobbled together. I got, I got vibes of, uh, of, of, um, Enfys nests kind of swoop speeder along with a droid step kind of thing going on. It really reminded me of the, uh, the speeders from the, uh, rebels pilot, uh, pilot. The, oh uh, yeah yeah I where, guess because they have that I... platform on the back with the cases yeah. like the and, yeah, yeah. and uh yeah i halfway thought when she was unfolding it that it was going to be just like a folded up speeder bike like uh, oh i you know what i i totally got that too yeah just based on the front uh flaps there yeah 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 but then you know. the steering veins that's a that's a pretty common thing though in star wars the little uh triangular fins yeah the, the fins all have that sort of generic kind of shape to them anyway it's a cool thing i like it um we didn't get the ship this week the that uh cassian bought from quad paws no. i guess it was too expensive to animate <laughs> <laughs> 30 grand who knows <laughs> it's out there somewhere there is a ship that's, out there somewhere. that's twice the price <laughs> <laughs> all right we cut to the streets of uh, ferrix 
um, where a hooded, oh, and it's nighttime, by the way, where a hooded Cassian makes his way through the streets. At home, Marva sleeps in a chair while B2 rests in his uh, charging station. When When Cassian tries to open the front door, Marva, now startled from her sleep and armed with a blaster, points it at the door. Who's there? B2 rolls out from his station, and together he and Marva go to the door, and they let Cassian inside. Shocked at the sight of her son, she ushers him inside and embraces him like any parent would, relieved to have a lost child come home. The three settle in while Cassian lowers the drapes and Marva puts on a kettle. She tells him, uh, you can't stay, while B2 adds that uh, there's troopers now. When Cassian retorts, that was fast, Marva tells him that, yeah, they showed up the very next day and now Ferrix is under Imperial authority. She also tells him, uh, you shouldn't be here. Now that's the what, second second time? Yeah. yeah. And Cassian professes that someone turned him in. Marva exclaims, oh, you don't know. And Cassian says, uh, no, what? Well, she and B2 both say Tim at the same time, that it was Tim Carlo that turned him in. And uh, Marva adds that, uh, well, there's no point in stewing over it because he's dead now. When Cassian asks her, how does she know all of this? Marva tells him quite matter of factly that everyone knows. Shocked. Uh, Cassian questions if Bix knew, but Marva sets the record straight by telling him that Bix was actually coming to warn him, and Tim was either trying to stop her or catch her, the details mm-hmm. of which aren't really clear, but she says that she's heard it both ways. And for a third time, Marva tells him again, you can't be here. The Empire is there to stay, and they won't be going away. But Cassian beams with a smile as uh, he tells her that they won't have to worry about that anymore because he got the big score and they can get out of there and go anywhere they want. Marva looks confused while she listens, but B2 seems enthusiastic about it and he says, when can they go? Cassian says, we'll leave tonight. They'll get out of the cold and damp and they'll find somewhere warm and easy. Looking at Marva lovingly, he tells her it's going to be different now. But Marva looks back at him with a sad smile. And uh, then she gets up to go and turn off the kettle. And Cassian says, what's wrong? She tells him that it's just a lot to take in. And Cassian reassures her that all they need to do is take what they can carry and they can be off. Marva says that she's just really surprised uh, by all of it. And she's tired. And Cassian acknowledges, of course, it's late. And she should rest while he checks in on Bix. And then the three of them can leave first thing in the morning. And then Marva says, okay, let's let's do that. Back on Coruscant, Mon Mothma's Senate residence is abuzz as she and Perrin are playing host to uh, some kind of gala event. Another party. Another party, yeah, yeah. More importantly uh, to her, her childhood friend, Tay Kolma, is in attendance, and the two make small talk about being home on Chandrilla and how they always seem to miss each other. And uh, Tay makes a joke that uh, he's not hard to find, especially for a senator. At first, well, I thought they'd recast uh, Senator Valorum. <laughs> <laughs> Funny really that did. you say that. Funny yeah. that you say that. Uh, that's going to come up here in a second. Um, I actually thought that uh, just like Cassian and Bix may have been romantically linked. I wonder if this is a high school boyfriend. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Mon apologizes for being a bad friend and Tay tells her that's nonsense. Her life has taken her all this way here and neither of them are who they once were. Well, Mon says, have I changed that much? And Tay says, we've all had to adapt. Well, the two, they talk about life on Coruscant and Tay says that he just can't imagine living there with no escape. Mon tells him, well, it can be challenging at times. And Tay says that she carries it well. There is chatter around the room, and, and I try, it's really hard to hear, um, but there is a very clear voice off in the background that actually says, Finis Valorum, uh, in reference to the former Supreme Chancellor, uh, played <laughs> by uh, Terrence Stamp, General Zod, uh, Priscilla Queen of the Desert, um, who was the subject of the no confidence vote of uh, 32 BBY that led to the election of uh, Palpatine as his successor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the next room, Perrin sits on a sofa with some other guests while Lita stands over them on a platform behind. You can see Lita mouth to her father how she doesn't want to be at the party, and Perrin kind of mouths back at her, go ask mum. Steering Tay into yet another chamber, Mon Mothma asks if she can call on their old kinship and count on his trust in something. But the two are uh, interrupted when Lita approaches. Mon reintroduces them, saying that they've met before back home uh, through Tay's sisters. And in the introduction, Mon points out a small but very significant detail that Tay is a banker on Chandrilla. Lita can't recall meeting him and uh, changes the subject, noting that uh, her father said that she needed to ask her if she could be excused from the party. And tersely, Mon agrees, but at the same time, she like laser daggers parent yeah, in the yeah. next room. Like, yeah, put that on me. Yeah. In the previous episodes that I missed, did we discuss Lita at all? Did we talk about her lineage? Uh, first appearance? We- uh dark just, empire source book from the west end oh, games i missed that uh, completely yeah and uh so canonized i guess maybe a first appearance would be in the thrawn novels then which i can't corroborate don't recall but certainly uh, i looked it up and she uh she's from the dark empire source book and uh so we've canonized some more legends love it i don't think i picked up on that i don't think we did i think that was yeah i think uh, that's missed we missed that one yeah with Lita excused, Mon turns her attention back to Tay and uh, tells him that she spent a lot of time thinking about the conversation that she's about to have and uh, how she wants to tell him something that only three people in the galaxy know about. Um, Mon Mothma being one, uh, Luthen being two, Bail Organa three? Question mark? Well, I'm going to say it's uh, Luthien's possible stepwife. Oh, she's in you think know. Mon Mothma knows that? Oh, I suppose she so. Would, sure, yeah, sure. She yeah. knows. Clea, Clea would be the obvious three. Sure, yeah. sure. Okay. I mean, alive right. because this this all revolves around that cutscene, Revenge of the Sith, where Padma, Padme basically well, absolutely you know, talks about yeah. the thousand yeah, yeah. and the and the, the that group that she's beginning to set up. So that's right. I think I made a note about that here. Uh, no, I didn't, but you're right. Uh, Padme, basically they, uh, Bail Organa and, uh, Genevieve O'Reilly's Mon Mothma and the Senator from, uh, the Gorman Senator, uh, right. basically have a secret meeting that they invite Padme to. And she's like, listen, I believe in whatever you're doing, but I can't be part of it because if they ever come, I can't tell them what I don't know. Yeah. Right. Which 
I feel like this is sort of, it's almost like they're getting to revisit that, that, that piece that it yeah. made it into the book. It didn't make it into the film. That's right. Right. Well, Tay asks her, why would she want to do that? And uh, Mon Mothma says it's because that she needs his help. Tay asks her if it's personal or political. And when she tells him that it's the latter, he urges her to hesitate because as he previously pointed out, they've both changed, adding that he's grown weary of the empire and Mon Mothma might find his politics a bit strong for her taste. <laughs> Tay says that her world is inescapably linked to the empire and suggests that she might be surprised to find out how far some people back home have taken their political allegiances. Oh, so he then sips on his drink and apologizing, saying that he may have had a little too much to drink, but Mon says, drink up and smile. She tells him to pretend as if they're talking about their childhood, which catches Tay a little bit off guard as he says, I'm not sure I understand. Meanwhile, Perrin has moved around the party, always remaining with an eye shot of the two. And I can't tell if this is out of jealousy, spying, or both. I would think both. Yeah, I think both. Yeah. Because we See, know I, his his inner circle of friends are, right? Well, yeah, knowing, yeah. knowing that we're watching a, a spy thriller too, and 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 almost maybe maybe trope for the genre as well, but yeah. there's always betrayal. Oh yeah. And so I, I find myself like not trusting Clea, not trusting Tay, <laughs> you know, and like, you know what I mean? Because Trust I'm waiting nobody. for somebody's <laughs> other shoe to drop. And the fact that he's so open about his anti-imperial allegiances before she puts it to question, uh, yeah. that worries me about the character because, uh, you know, even even now that there's still a, a Senate, there's still all this political backbiting still going on. But, you know, it's yeah, not yeah, complete yeah. totalitarian regime yet. What no. what we get from this and what I didn't really understand, because you, you kind of get the impression from, well, the Order 66 events that we've seen, especially Bad Batch, etc., yep. yep. which is the second Order 66 kicked in, the Empire took over and, mm. you know, but what, what we realize now is that for the first 15 years of the empire, they were basically the That's empire right. light. Yeah. I mean, uh, in, in prep for tonight's show, I actually went back and I watched the scene, uh, in the briefing room on the, the first death star, you know, the Senate has been swept away or the Senate has been dissolved. I mean, right. that's like, that's hours, hours, yeah. or days before the, the, the battle of Yavin. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Mon acknowledges that, no, Tay, you don't understand. She says that when people look at her and when they hear what is said about her, it all paints a clear picture of who she is. A polite and sometimes indecisive senator who spends her days fighting and failing to protect separatist do-gooders. She battles imperial overreach. She says that some would call it an irritation. Tay tries to apologize, thinking that he's made her angry, but Mon is quick to correct him. She says, no, he has, in fact, set her free. Tay is now genuinely confused, while she tells him that she spent the entire day wondering if she could, could confide in him, and then she begins to lay it all out. She calls her public appearance a projection, 
a lie, an affront. Tay falters for a moment with his mouth agape, while Mm. Lon reminds him to smile and keep up the appearances of two old friends. As the two step into a smaller lounge off of the main room, she tells him that she's learned from Palpatine, if I show you the stone in my hand, you miss the knife at your throat. Sitting down on a long couch, Tay asks, where is this all going? And she explains that the Grand Vizier, Masamita, has infiltrated her separatist coalition meetings. Her Senate-assigned driver, Chloris, is an ISB plant that reports on her secret humanitarian programs. She adds that they know they're watching her, and in a surprising twist, she says, that's what she wants. Because if they fixate on what she's doing publicly, there's a good chance that they'll miss what she's really doing. And Tay asks her flatly, what are you really doing? Staring him dead in the eye, she says, raising money. She tells him that she needs a way to access her family fortune because the suspicions that are raised against her have made it impossible for her to do it herself anymore without adding to it. Tay asks her um, what she's raising money for, and Mon boldface lies to him uh, by saying it's a Chandrillan outreach program. She says that she will publicly ask him to become the chairman and that uh, the position will require him to make personal visits to Coruscant. Spotting Perrin, who's now standing at a table just outside the lounge, Mon tells Tay that the whole thing will appear to be yet just another one of her benevolent and useless irritations. Looking back at Tay, she tells him that she's explored the alternatives and he is in fact her best shot. But Tay says, you still haven't answered my question. And Mon says, and I won't because he's better off not knowing. And then parroting his own words, she looks at Tay as she says, or perhaps you find my politics a bit strong for your taste. And there it is. That's the, that scene out of, uh, was it revenge of the Sith or attack of the clones? I don't remember. Revenge of the Sith. It was revenge of the Sith. That's right. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't tell you what I don't know. Well, just then Perrin enters the lounge and Mon quickly tells Tay that he knows nothing about what she's doing. And Perrin is not to be trusted. Perrin interrupts the two. <laughs> exactly yeah. what I was don't, saying. Don't trust him. Anyway, Perrin interrupts the two and makes some small talk about uh, two old friends reminiscing about school days. And Tay asks, are we that predictable? Perrin says there's a reunion coming up while Mon Mothma smiles and says, don't remind me. But it looks like Perrin might also be doing some mental gymnastics here because uh, he answers with, she pretends not to care, but we both know better, don't we? Hmm. <laughs> before pleasantly requesting that uh, Mon go with him because there's a few guests that require some special attention. And as Mon and Perrin wade back into the party, Tay sits back down on the couch and breathes a heavy sigh. I am so disappointed that we didn't get that dinner party with, uh, the, with the viziers. I office. looked in the background to see. If oh, was so did I. I'm like, who's here? Who's here? Anybody here? Anybody? Anybody? I mean, she did say they might have to reschedule, so it That's could still true. be pending. Um, yeah, I have, yeah, I have some questions about Palpatine. Okay, sure. Um, do, do we think that it's public knowledge that he's a Sith Lord? 
No. No. No, I, I, and I tend to agree with that. But it is public knowledge that Vader is a Sith Lord. The Dark Lord, yeah. And, Lord and it's, furthermore, it's, it's public knowledge in certain high sects of the Empire that he was a former Jedi Anakin Skywalker. Mm, that's true. Um, I mean, Thrawn, Thrawn finds it out on his own. Um, several other, in the comics, several other Imperial officers kind of find it out on their own. Um, but there's a, there, and, and you just watched the scene. There's a, there's a line, I think it's Tag, says it. Your ancient devotion, to, or your, your devotion to that ancient religion. Ancient religion, not, yeah. Let you conjure up the, the stolen, ba- like he stolen knows. Seems, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and her line that when you, I, he shows you the stone, you don't see the knife at the throat. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. seems to suggest that she might know that. I mean, it certainly oh. not if he's not the Sith Lord, which I mean, the public, I thought the public perception was that. Um, he the was Jedi attacked. tried to kill he, him. Yeah, and that right. explains his disfigurement. Well, he, in what is it, Revenge of the Sith? When he first yeah, takes yeah. the podium, he's like, "Their attack has left me scarred, and this yes. is what I am now." Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. They do. They do make a point in the uh, A New Hope novel to say that he hasn't been seen in years in public. At the beginning of the New Hope novel, mm. so granted it. And then just kind of ruled from the shadows. But and that's the impression. They 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 make a big deal about calling the Republic a tree that rots from within, and you can't tell yeah. until it's yeah, too yeah. late. I just that line about like so she doesn't know he's a Sith Lord. She certainly knows that 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 Order sixty six occurrence wasn't at face value the Jedi yeah. attack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just raises some questions for me. Certainly, I got the impression from the last episode that he was not present in the Senate uh, when no. she was speaking. Um, no. Also, that building was so empty. Yeah. Hugely it empty. It reminded me of Canadian Parliament. Right. Where it's just like uh, you're going through the motions now. Seriously, yeah. there's nobody. Right. The prime minister's not there. You know, the only people, half the opposition is there. And like, like where is everybody? And the second there's the something brain. more interesting than hearing a senator from Shandrilla no, they all get up drone, they, they get yeah. up and leave. Yeah. Oh, awful, awful. Um, that being said, I do have hopes that we will get another Senate piece where maybe, if we're lucky, he might make an appearance. If only to strike maybe. down her order on trying to help those people. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I do. I, I am nervous. I'm worried for Tay. I'm worried for Tay because um, I do think Perrin is a spy. Um, and I do think that he's smarter than uh, he's let on. Uh, his whole like, oh, he seems to know more about your goings on than I do. You know, and she says, uh, what does she say? I-, I didn't tell you because I didn't think you'd be interested because it was charitable. Yeah, well, they're doing something he's... pretty great here. Like I and I like like you say, I worry about Tay. I worry about val and luthien and, and, and lucian sorry and, and other characters yeah, yeah. but yeah. what they do a super good job of here is making you worry about characters that you know actually survive that like yeah yeah, yeah. like i feel like you know like the stakes are it's kind of like watching a bond movie when you go okay no matter what happens nothing's going to happen to bond like he's right. dangling out of a plane by his ankle yeah, nothing's yeah, yeah, going to yeah. happen to bond yeah. so i'm not worried about it at all like i'm like legit worried about Cassian Andor, even though I know he survives, yeah. I know when he dies. That's but right. But they, they're so good at creating that tension 
um, that you really you, you really go what what horrible thing could happen to Mon Mothma here? You know, I'm not so much worried for her as I am for him. I I yeah, think yeah. days are I think his days are numbered. <laughs> it's a funny thing too. Like Ezra goes to Imperial Prison like twice in the Run of Rebels, yep. and I never once yep. went, "Oh, geez, oh no, oh no." <laughs> and I just certainly am like, "How are we? How's our hero going to get out of this? How's he going to get out of this?" Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Take Holma. That's uh, actor Ben Miles. Uh, ben Miles actually played uh, Maslow in the film Ninja Assassin. Uh, as well as Cass Jones in the live action uh, Speed Racer, go Speed Racer, and he played Dascom in uh, V for Vendetta. Oh, crazy! Uh, if you remember any of those roles. All right, back on Ferrix, Cassian scales the wall into the compound surrounding Bix's uh, shop, picking up a stone. He taps a signal on a piece of metal just uh, a couple of feet below the window on the main building. Anybody pick up on the uh, ting, 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 ting? Mm-hmm. Shaving haircut. <laughs> I get a chuckle out of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. A light comes on inside and uh, Cassian moves over to a doorway. An intercom sputters to life with some audible static, and uh, Cassian leans in to say, Hey, from the other side of the intercom, Bix is surprised to hear Cassian, and she says, What are you doing here? Leaning against the doorway, Cassian looks back at the wall and uh, the wall that he just uh, scaled, by the way, and uh, asks Bix, you know, if she remembers when his uh, her father caught him climbing over the same wall. And uh, Bix says, well, this is the last place you should be. And uh, chuckling, Cassian says, I think those were her, his exact words. <laughs> Bix tells him it's not safe there. There's a theme here. Remember the last time uh, Cass, when we first meet Cassian on Ferrex, and it's like everybody we talk to has the same backstory for him. Right. The same word, same thing. You can't be here. You can't be here. You can't be right. Really reinforcing that. Nobody wants to be associated with him at this point. No, no, no. The sense he's, this has been his home for years too. Like he used to come here when he was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10, 10 plus. Right. 10 plus years for sure. Right. All right. Um, she's, you can't be here. Um, Bix tells him it's not safe there. And Cassian, um, he pauses for a moment. And uh, with the next time he speaks, it's a single word. Tim. Well, Bix uh, theorizes that Tim, now still, this is from the other side of the door through the intercom. She theorizes that Tim must have thought that she and uh, Cassian were back together. And uh, when Cassian asks why would he think that, Bix says, you can't be as surprised as I was. Hmm. Um, I kind of got that vibe too, that they were that there was a maybe a rekindling, that there was a, a flame still burning um for one, if not both of them. Yeah. So if you if you like Jim did, left that bar like moments before. Right. Yeah. He missed yeah. out on that crucial, you know, pushback moment. Push the hand away. Right. The yeah. uh, the moment in the garage with the two of them when she's working on the engine, and uh, I just got like she's still. I thought she was still holding a bit of a candle for him, um, you know. And then you know got drunk and went to get a booty call that night. Yeah. Maybe. Certainly, if you know, if if she's you know thirty and he's been here for ten years, like maybe. You know, it could have been, you know, your first love, you know, you know what I mean? Oh, like, maybe. Yeah. So yeah. That's, there's always that makes some part too. of that candle that burns always. Excuse me. Yeah. 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 
Well, the door then slides open and uh, Bix is standing there. When Cassian spots the gash over her right eye, he says, what happened? And Bix says that she got it from running into a wall like I do. <laughs> um, it's been a while since uh, she was uh, arrested by the Corpos. So like, and it's even, it's on the wrong side when they chained her to that wall. So as presumably she's been interrogated. Uh, you know what? I didn't catch that. I actually thought that was a, a benchmark of how quickly the story has been progressing. I don't think that's from the from the the arrest. I think that is the, no. She's she's it, been interrogated. You're a hundred percent. That's the wrong side of the head, eh? Yeah, because she doesn't. I, get I honestly, no. Her two friends come like after all the guards and everything. Go. They handcuff her to that pipe on the wall and they leave her there. Yeah, right. But and, then, and it's, then uh, her the friends other two guys at the end come, of the scene. They come sorry, get her. She was detained. She was detained there. Yeah. Right. And as she's reaching out for Tim's body, they're like, no, no, we got to go. I don't remember her being injured there. Well, she gets a she, she, Yeah. The, the corpo shoves her head into the. Is that. The, so are we saying that's the same wound as the. I, uh, I thought it was. I, now that you say it's not the same side of the head. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to go back. I, and, and I thought watch. that was an indicator of like how. Of time. Okay. Rapid could fire well things be. have been progressing. You know, it doesn't make sense though. Well, I guess it does. Because like Marva says too, you know, they showed up the day after you're right and it was only three days on aldani yeah right yeah you're right it was only three days well maybe it is the same wound then and okay. because hyper travel is instantaneous yeah, well now. it is now right? we can go <laughs> wherever we want star right Galaxy. five seconds seconds <laughs> all right um <clears throat> like marva before her bix tells cassian once again you can't be here yeah clubbing it cassian says the troopers won't catch him not here but uh, Bix says that they won't have to because someone will turn him in. And uh, Cassian asks, who? And uh, she says, well, everyone blames you for what happened. Mm -hmm. She says, you killed two corpos and came home to hide. It put the entire town at risk. And now there are Imperials in the street. Uh, but Cassian rebukes her, saying that if Tim had kept his mouth shut, and Bix, she's very quick to cut him off, this, that, you, me, whatever righteously angry at her cassian uh, or uh, righteously angry at cassian bix uh, calls him out she says you scam you borrow you lie and you disappear in defense cassian fires back saying that her crazy boyfriend tried to get him killed and now he's the villain well staring back at him unblinking bix tells him he needs to get as far away from ferrix as he can and it takes a second before the weight of what she says uh, sets in. But like the way that she tells him and the way that she looks at him, that's like a final get the F out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, it's, it's personal. Yeah. He did. He did. He doesn't even want to offer her like, come with me. Yeah. 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 All right. So. Um, it takes a few seconds uh, and when a weight of it sets in, but when it does, Cassian sits back and he scoffs. I will. He gets up to leave and he tells her that she won't have to worry about him anymore. Like the, the typical stuff that, you know, teenagers do when they fight, when it's a bad breakup, yeah. I'll leave. You'll never have to worry about me ever again. And Bix, she hangs her head in obvious pain. Now with his back to her, Cassian pauses and uh, he stands there for a moment before he turns back to Bix and says, I need to know about the buyer. An obvious reference to Luthen. Cassian asks, who is he? 
And Bix shakes her head saying, I don't know. Cassian accuses her of lying, but Bix insists that she's not. She tells him that Pack introduced them, but he doesn't know either. In case you forgot, Pack was the shop owner where the, the pirate radio was hidden in the in the yeah. chimney. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure he's the one that actually gets there and uncuffs her. Yeah, I think that's right, too. It's him and the son, I yeah. think, actually show yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, that's right. For Bix, it was simple. She would uh, radio in, and sometimes they might actually respond. Cassian says that the buyer knew all about him, and he asks how. Well, Bix admits, yes, the buyer did know that the corporals were coming after him, but they didn't learn that from her. Looking down at her, Cassian says that, uh, well, if you ever talk to him again, let him know that I held up my end of the deal, and he needs to forget about me, adding, that goes for everybody. Bix drops her gaze, and she shakes her head as she says, I've done it before. Propping a foot up, Cassian digs into his boot and he removes a pouch. Holding it up, he tells Bix it's uh, 12,000 credits and it should be enough to cover everything that he owes to everyone. Zahn, Nurchi, Brasso, and Dima. Leaving the money on a nearby crate, Cassian goes back over the wall the same way that, the same way that he came in while Bix tells him to be careful as she watches him go. That's too bad. Um, I thought there'd be a little bit more, but again, you know, in light of what's just happened. Well, I, I don't see her out of the fold yet. Like, no, I don't need an action figure. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. We haven't seen that, like, that outfit yet. No, he's coming looking for Cassie and where you yeah, going to look. Yeah. Yeah. At the original contact point. Uh, it's entirely possible. Um, yeah. And especially considering that, you know, Luthen's already talked to her. And if, if Luthen is Bell's, dad they're gonna have to get their daddy daughter thing shelved or resolved yeah not to mention that deidre's people will probably be starting to search here as well yeah yeah, of course they will who's gonna get to her first there's gonna be a a shit storm coming uh prefect what's his nuts the army captain that uh can i be brief (laughs) you sure can Stepping out onto uh, Rick's road, Cassian pulls up his hood, keeping his head on a swivel, looking for trouble. A few dozen meters down the road, he can hear some radio chatter, and uh, taking a look, he sees a pair of stormtroopers that are headed in his direction. While quickening his pace, uh, Cassian ducks behind a stone wall, and he steals a quick look back over his shoulder. When he doesn't immediately hear or see anything, he uh, hugs the wall with his back, and he waits. And uh, as the sound of marching boots approach, uh, we cut to a daylight shot of the same street. There's a light dusting of snow on the ground while the white armored boots of Republic clones march past. At the same time, we can hear this ethereal voice of Clem Andor say, this is not our fight, Cass, as he clasps the adult Cassian Andor by the shoulder. He's apparently in his own reverie right now. Mm-hmm. Clem reassures him, uh, don't worry, they won't be here long. Then the camera changes perspective and we can see the marching clones from over the shoulder of a teenage Cassian and his father. Clem tells him they're just going to raise their silly flag and fly away. From off camera, we can hear a man shout, long live the Republic, while another shouts, free Ferrix. Clem tells his son not to move and stay here as he ventures out into the street to try and calm the men. But as he steps out, the men have already thrown rocks at the back of the marching column. 
Well, the black-uniformed Imperial officer commanding the clone unit orders them to a halt, and the rear element performs an about-face. The officer then orders the rear element to ready arms, and the clones take aim at the three men in the street. Well, as adult Cassian looks at his adoptive father, Clem looks back at his teenage son. We cut back to the present where Cassian, still pressed to the wall, is lost in his reverie, but he's quickly brought back to reality as the pair of stormtroopers march past without incident. What an interesting uh, back and forth mm. from you know adult to... I mean, if you're going to use a, 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 a memory cutscene like that i think that was cleverly done the way they did that mm. really nice that they just like triggered it with a sound like, yeah like that marching sound well when the camera's facing cassian it's cassian in the present and when it's not it's cassian of the past like yeah. that's yeah. that's you think a that's cool... a sort of a clever way of them not using de-aging technology i hope oh, so sure on top of of everything else right um, right sure cost cost saving <laughs> right no 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 i mean so that we can get those big like episode six sh shots uh they can cut budgets wherever they want sure they sure that stuff i yeah. i think that i think that uh, creatively speaking artistically speaking that mm -hmm. was it's, very it's well a really executed. good choice yeah 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 well back at marva's uh b2 sitting in a uh, sits in his charging dock when the front door slides open the droid uh, the droid announces he's b -b back before rolling out to meet Cassian, uh, B2 exclaims that uh, he was coming to find him. And Cassian says, here I am. Looking around the house, Cassian remarks, mm, you haven't done much packing. And B2 tells him that uh, Marva says they can't go. The camera then shifts focus to Marva, who's standing in the back room, and she tells B to be quiet. Cassian steps around the droid and asks her, what is this? Marva tells him plainly that uh, she's not going. And Cassian is confused, saying, it's not safe here. You said it yourself. It's all come undone. And Marva nods, I know. Cassian reminds her that uh, there's, Imperial there's an Imperial barracks on Rick's road. And Marva, you, who uses her cane to lift the drapes and look outside, says, uh, good luck to them. Mm. Still confused, Cassian questions, you want to live under that? And Marva says, it's happening everywhere. Cassian tells her they'll find a place that the Empire hasn't ruined yet. But Marva tells him she's already there. That place is in her head. And no matter how many barracks the Empire builds, they'll never find her. And when Cassian asks her what, what's left to keep her on barracks, she boldly tells him the rebellion. Flabbergasted, Cassian says, what? And Marva tells, uh, tells him Ferrex has been hiding long enough. Cassian scoffs, so now you're taking on the Empire? And Marva says, laugh if you want to, but Cassian calls it madness. Marva shoots back, it's not. She calls it overdue and probably doomed, adding that she's too old and I don't care anymore. She tells Cassian that for the last 13 years, every time she's walked down Rick's road, she's turned off before she got to the square. And she would take the long way home that, so she wouldn't have to think about Clem hanging there. Cutting back to the snowy covered roads of the Ferrex of the past, teenage Cassian trudges through the square at Rick's road while a body hangs there swaying gently. The boy carries a pipe-like weapon behind his back. It reminded me of the cudgel. It did, yeah. Me too. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
cutting back to Marva's, uh, Marva's face lights up as she tells Cassie and how she heard about the attack on Aldani yesterday, asking, do you know what I'm talking about? And Cassian looks away with a bit of a smile and he's like, yeah, there's this moment where, you know, she's be like, you can see how lit up she is, mm-hmm. how beaming she is at what's happened. And he doesn't even have the guts to tell her that it was me, mom. Well, she, she probably wouldn't believe him. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. It's, yeah. it's one of the, that's, it's, it's a really well-written scene where, yeah, uh, there's something for her to be compl- amazingly proud of. And yeah, uh, yep. I don't, I, 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 right. Yeah. But I, I, I honestly think he feels like she wouldn't believe me if I told her and not like when, you know, when the person says it first, you're almost like, if I say it now, it's going to seem fake. I got the impression that the smile on Cassian's face was the satisfaction of knowing that she's indirectly proud of him. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So cutting back to the snowy covered roads, uh, the snowy covered uh, Rick's road and teenage Cassian has revealed the pipe as he continues uh, to move forward. Then we snap cut back to Marva's where Cassian uh, continues. Yeah. The, the garrison at Aldani Marva obviously or absolutely beams when she tells Cassian that when she heard the news, she put on her best coat and walked through the square with a smile on her face. Cassian smirks back at her, but quickly wipes it from his face and he uh, looks at the floor. Cutting back to the town square, teenage Cassian approaches four clone troopers that uh, are gathered around a small fire. Raising his club, he charges them while the clones raise their blasters and take aim at him. Mm. At the same time, from the present, we can hear Marva's voice uh, telling the adult Cassian that if there are heroes brave enough to take on a whole Imperial garrison, then she's brave enough to stick it out here. It's so crazy how she doesn't know it it's is. him. It's so, Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's poignant. Um, also, uh, assault of Imperial officer <laughs> right there. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're uh, standing uh, outside the hotel, by the way, mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Where we saw, uh, uh, Blevin and the uh, army officer standing. Well, back in the present, Cassian downplays the Eldani incident as nothing more than a robbery. But Marva, who's still beaming, uh, smiles as she tells her son that people are standing up. Cynically, Cassian sneers, yeah, and getting killed for it. But if nothing else, Marva is optimistic as she proclaims that there's work to be done that will need to be done. Uh, and which when echoes Ka- Lucian's, uh, yes, people are going to need to suffer. That's to be yeah. expected. Yeah, that's yeah, the same yeah, yeah. line, only just approached differently. Uh, like this, the the parallels in this scene and yeah. that scene are just crazy. When Cassian asks, "And what is that?" she looks at him with a smirk of her own, and she says, "Whatever it takes." Adding that uh, she's been laying around waiting to die long enough. Now B two, who has been quietly listening the whole time, drops his head and emits a sorrowful chirp at those words. Mm-hmm which I was really like, oh. Um, Star Wars, if anything else, if nothing else, has done such a great job at conveying emotion from an automaton. Yeah. And it is it comes through in spades here, especially when he's like, can I talk now? No. If your dog could talk. Yeah. Yeah. If your dog could talk, man. Well, I mean, look at the way Cassian even strokes his head. 
when he right. comes in the front door, hugging Marvin and petting him like the family pet. Mm. Well, Cassian tells her that uh, she can't beat them, but uh, Marva slams her cane into the floor. Not if I run away. Staring at her son, she tells him that uh, he has a different path and she's not judging him for it. Remarking everything he's been through and all the things that were taken away from him before he even started. Marva tells him to take all the money he's come into and go somewhere and find peace. But Cassian exclaims that he won't have peace because he'll worry about her all the time. And uh, Marva looks at her son with a smile and she tells him that's just love and there's nothing you can do about that. Cassian swallows hard, holding back his grief. And with tears welled up in her eyes, Marva tells him that she's never loved anything the way that she loves him. And she's never fretted on anything more. But this time, he can't stay and she can't go. Yeah. Oh. As Marva stands. Ma. Ma. Yeah, he calls her Ma. Yeah. yeah. As Marva stands there with her head held high, Cassian shakes his head at her at, her, uh, at a loss. B2 lifts his head and he asks for permission to speak and Marva yells no before uh, imploring Cassian to tell her that he understands, but he doesn't um, and he's crushed. Marva looks down and says, you will, you'll see. And it's more like she's trying to convince herself at this point than anybody else in the room. Mm. Also Cassian, the legacy line right at a rogue one. Tell me you understand. Yeah. Yeah. Cassian averts his eyes as he brushes past Marva on his way out. And she stops him. Just one more thing. And with her back to him, she tells Cassian, stop searching for your sister. It's all just a fantasy. There were no survivors on Canari. She goes on adding that what happened there wasn't his responsibility, that he was just a child. Staring sidelong at, at uh, Marva's back, Cassian says, I'm coming back. And he turns to leave. And as the door hisses open, uh, without looking back at him, Marva says, of course you are. That's a wild scene. Wild. Yeah. All right. Back at the central office, Major Partagaz has uh, convened another meeting of the uh, sector supervisors. And at the moment, he's grill uh, grilling Supervisor Young as to why his detention numbers are not on par with his neighboring sectors with three theories on the table. Young asks for the major's guidance and uh, major Portagaz then orders a full audit of all the hyperspace lanes leading to Ord Mantel. And he expects the report on his desk uh, by the same time tomorrow. Got to get some of that Mantel mix Mantel mix. Yep. Well, he then turns his attention to uh, supervisor Blevin noting that uh, Blevin seems like he's rather eager this morning uh, he asks, uh, am I mistaken? And Blevin says, uh, no, sir. No, you're not. And the major says, oh, good news, is it? And Blevin, still with an axe to grind, says, I'm afraid not. He says that he wants to lodge a formal charge. And uh, he wants to, to lay it against Supervisor Miro for violating her sector protocols as laid out in the ISB Code of Conduct, saying that her overreach, the overreach, for which she was previously reprimanded, compromises Imperial safety to the degree that silence is no longer possible. Really makes it sound like he's a by-the-book kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As long as it benefits him. Yeah. Yeah. 
But this also <laughs> tells us that uh, the confidentiality she uh, implored to that uh, record keeper. Uh, to uh, uh, Felzonis? Yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. Uh, slipped To uh, Sleepy McFix your uniform? Yep. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. Um, the major uh, questions uh, his subordinate asking if he thinks that this, is this the appropriate forum to bring this forward? And Blevin thinks, yes, it is. Well, Partigas says this is a serious charge. Um, but Blevin thinks that uh, the major will share his uh, sense of urgency. He wants an audience, right? He does. Yeah, yeah. Like, I want to humiliate you in front of the, everybody I can. Of course. Partigas of course. is actually awesome. Like, the, I, like he's, he's using he's the, tr- fellow. the Socratic method of, of uh, con- controlling the conversation. Um, the, the way he says um to her how how do you feel about having your um credentials your integrity like ventilated like the way just the way he uses language um i i really like this character even though i know that he's uh he's oh he's a villain he's pretty slimy yeah uh and i'm going to talk about his sliminess here in a bit um he asked Dedra if she minds having her integrity publicly ventilated mm-hmm. and she responds that no, she does not adding that uh, supervisor Blevin clearly finds her conduct more interesting uh, than uh, quote, the advancement of Imperial integrated security. And she's curious, <laughs> she's curious to hear what he has to say. Well, the major says, is this about Ferrex recounting how the, uh, um, the star path unit was recovered in his sector and how Dedra wanted the crime reports. Well, Blevin retorts that the major already found her out of order and in violation of the chain of command. But Dedra corrects him by saying that no, in fact, Major Partigas advised her to reinforce her suspicion with data and to be careful in her work going forward. Well, Blevin dismisses the uh, her defense and saying, "How many people at this table would, would find it careful?" that you found a way to access their sector data without even so much as filing a request. Right. Well, the major says, is is this true? And Dedra, she admits it. She says, yes, it is. Adding (laughs) that she used the Imperial Emergency Act in the wake of the Aldani incident to gather data across multiple sectors without official sanction. But that, that is the wrong question to Mm -hmm. be asking. And the major's eyes kind of light up like, what? Yeah. Yeah. What? <laughs> he has a lot of respect for her, I think. Like, low key, I think you know it's I mean? veiled. I think yeah. it's veiled. I yeah. totally think it's veiled. I'll talk about it in a minute. But yeah. um, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I there's an angle. Well, Dedra continues asking uh, if there's anyone there that believes that the rebels would plan their actions based on invisible lines on a map. <laughs> One of the other <laughs> crazy. Were- just one like, of the other supervisors is like uh major partigas came up with those sector boundaries and uh she like basically kind of loses it she's like yeah as organizing principles not as personal playthings. well the major he kind of interjects at this point and uh he questions are you questioning the relevance of my uh, that my work has been supplanted and boldly dedra blurts out that systems either change or die there's that line again. There's the network thing. Grow or die. Either grows or dies. Um, the major raises his eyebrows at her while Blevin looks smugly. Surely Blevin thinks that she's just dug her own grave. 
Um, but the major is actually willing to entertain her, and he asks, thesis, please? Dedra reasserts her previous position that there is a focused, organized rebel effort to acquire highly restricted imperial military components. And the unfiltered sector crime reports have allowed her to prove the link between the distribution of the stolen equipment to rebel groups across the galaxy. Pardon me. Well, the major asks her, is this hard, verifiable data, and is she prepared to present it? Which, of course, she is. Adding that she believes that uh, Blevins' accusations actually stem from his own sense of self-preservation and not from urgency, as he calls it. Um, and as you say, there's a pretty good chance here that Felzonis was not as discreet as she demanded mm -hmm. to be. Yeah. So the, again, as I said, I don't know if that resource records room was like somebody else's personal sector thing, or if that was a common resource. I think it would right, be like right. the common thing for the entire ISP. That's right? what I thought. Like this is your house of records. But clearly Felzonis is a weasel. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Blevin, still thinking like he's the chess master here, asks, what's more urgent than a renegade intelligence officer? He posits, what if everyone in the room played as loose with the rules as you did? And Major Partigas chimes in, excellent suggestion, Blevin. He wonders aloud where they'd be if everyone showed the same initiative as Dedra. And uh, Dedra stares at the Major with, like, super surprised as mm -hmm. the Major says, I'll have to think about that switching gears he orders that he's assigning the morlana sector to dedra at least temporarily as uh, as he says ferrix is of great interest to her and has become a distraction for you and blevin is clearly less than pleased with that decision but he holds his tongue he still doesn't see he the major does not see anything that needs urgent attention but at the same time he also asserts that he salutes the provocative exchange of ideas at that dedra can't help but let a smirk creep up on her face and uh, major partigas wraps up the meeting thanking them for what he calls a lively session <laughs> mm. uh, oh we got a comment here coming in tonight from our friend sean on youtube who says uh, i want to see a young thrawn start making his rank um, it, a lot of that's covered in the, uh, in the, the new, uh, Thrawn trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah. Was yeah. The, uh, oh my gosh. I can't even think of the name of the name thing. Ascendance. Um, or ascendancy. Ascendancy. Yeah. Ascendance or ascendancy. Mm, yeah, I think so. I think so. Mm -hmm. We are going to see Thrawn. Like have no doubt. We are he going to get, Thrawn. we will get a Thrawn appearance, uh, whether I don't think it'll be in this series, but I don't think so that too. for certain. We are getting him for sure. If not, uh, it, definitely by the time we get to Ahsoka. Yeah. For sure by then. All right. Um, as the major gets up to leave, he beckons Dedra to join him. And uh, no one else in the room even budges, despite the meeting having been dismissed. Instead, they all just <laughs> sit there stunned by what just happened. I mean, and, uh, Wes, how, how many yeah. times did it happen to you where a superior officer said, Wes, walk with me like, like that, <laughs> like, like no. Wes, it, well, walk and that, so there you go. Uh, the, <laughs> right? the first like, thing calls her by her first name, right? Walk with a me. lot. He does a lot, which by the way, I, I, I will say that's happened a lot. I, I worked for a British exchange officer for, uh, about a year and, uh, he called me my first name all the time okay. when we were alone. 
uh, right. never, right. never in front of anybody. Right. So that, that was like, oh, yeah. Can I point out one thing here? Yeah. Uh, we've talked about it before, but the little, uh, the patches there. The rank pips? The rank, yes. Yeah. How they have never really had like a... A, a canonized re... Uh, like, let's just reset everything and really yeah. put it out there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This might be it. Because they are so consistent with these throughout this show. I hope so. Like, I seriously hope the so. On the, the previous... To the, to the ISB. Yeah. The previous if benchmark we had was from the game, right? Like... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But... And by game, you mean the role-playing The game. RPG. Yes, RPG. of course. Of yeah. course, yeah. Well, they get up to leave, uh, and with her hands folded behind her back, Dedra widens her step to catch up with the major. Uh, he stays just a few steps ahead of her the whole time, and uh, as they exit the meeting room, he tells her, well played. And uh, when she replies, thank you, sir, he gives her an earnest warning. Watch your back. As he <laughs> walks off, leaving Dedra standing in the hallway with nothing but her own thoughts and a smile on her face. Right. Um, Part of gas, he's a crafty old dude. He did not oh, get yeah. where he is by not like this dude's a schemer. Yes. Um, and after we we talked about how, you know, they we you came here from enforcement. You're supposed to be the quiet, just do your job. We called her the diversity hire. Yeah. Right, right. Um after the last run-in that she had with Blevin, it did sound like Partagas had some aspirations for her, even if he didn't sort of lay out what those were. But then again, he kind of downplayed them with that, you know, be a good girl kind of mm. uh, intonation there. Well, it's very um, much a go away, come here kind of. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing in the military, when you hit a position of leadership, and I suppose that this applies to leadership in, in every sector, if your subordinates are doing a good job, then you look a, so with Dedra doing what she's doing, part of guys can take credit for it. Mm-hmm. I did this, not her. That's right. The same way that Tarkin did to Krennic, the weapon that I spoke of so long ago. Right. And uh, I see that's what's happening here. He's, he's, he's a, he's a wily crafty old codger and he's using that, those years of experience to manipulate, you know, because at the end of the day, she really did just embarrass him in front of all of those subordinates. And there's no way that he's going to let that happen again. No. So if he, I, I did sort of take his constant calling her by her first name and no, we don't see him call another officer by their first name. No. Um, as as almost derogatory like you know <laughs> it's it's paternal i mean he's a man she's a woman it's a paternal right, right. it's a paternal gesture and not in a good way no not yeah. no i, I yeah. absolutely agree not in a good way right i think that uh we'll see we'll see some more craftiness from him before the show is out yeah. um in what sense i'm not 100 percent sure but i do think we've got more from him coming anyway Definitely want an action figure. Ah, yeah. Oh, yes. More white, more white. Uniforms. I need a whole bunch of ISB action figures. <laughs> Stop painting these other things I've got. <laughs> All right. We cut to an aerial shot of a flock of birds. Uh, what I've described as uh, blue flamingos mm-hmm. while this like crazy EDM music plays. This is the song that I absolutely love, by the way. Um, and as the camera pulls ahead of the birds, 
uh, it pulls back, revealing a, a, a long row stretching for miles of what looks like resort complexes on uh, an awesome tropical coastline. Yeah, beachfront mm-hmm. property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Niamos. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Niamos, uh, uh, Miami. Yeah. Niamos Vice. <laughs> okay. So I just want to, yeah, I want to say, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but were you guys aware of a blue flamingo uh, hoax going around the internet? Like it's one of those ones that comes around every once in a while. I don't believe I heard that one. No, sir. Yeah. At least since at least 2019, there have been reports of, you know, blue flamingos and people. Oh yeah. Blue flamingo. There are no blue flamingos for no. legit. Um, Maybe but I kind of eat shrimp. I kind well, that's it. That's right. They're pink because of the shellfish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wondered if if this was an intentional thing, like the the animators were in on the the internet hoax. Maybe or uh, or I, they're just big fans of Avatar. I I totally thought actually it was <laughs> uh, blue flamingos on purpose because the shrimp type creatures that we've seen have been blue green are also blue <laughs> right and that's i just great. thought right i, I honestly great. did it felt cohesive to me for sure it does for sure go well with those blue noodles <laughs> there you are and blue <laughs> right. milk maybe the blue, milk blue noodles blue yeah <laughs> okay well in a hotel suite littered with a strewn clothing all over the place, a young woman uh, named Wendy uh, wakes up to the sound of a running shower. While sitting up in bed, she calls out, Keith, Keith, uh, the latest pseudonym that uh, Cassian apparently has adopted, um, as he's now found that place, that warm and easy place. In the bathroom, Keith, I mean Cassian, opens up an armored case on the edge of the shower. And uh, inside the case lay uh, several Imperial credits, along with Nemec's leather-bound manifesto and Cyril Karn's corporate-issued blaster, now with the scope attached to it. Wendy calls from the bed, asking, what are you doing? And uh, Cassian slips a few credits out of the the case as he says uh, he's getting washed up. He was going to take a walk, and Wendy says uh, that, well, we need some stuff. And she says that Arky's up the beach will be open. Arky is apparently the convenience store, I guess. Mm-hmm. Cassian says he was actually planning on going the other way. And uh, isn't that, it makes it even worse now when you realize that, oh, we need to have, we need Pivos, uh, Pizos. We need mm-hmm. Pizos and Revnog got him arrested. There's that sign. <laughs> the greeny green ones. The greeny green ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, Arky's will be open. Cassian says he was planning on going the other way, but Wendy says that Arky's got new flavors and we need pizos. Cassian closes up the case and he stashes it out of sight on a recessed ledge over the shower head. <sighs> some hotel made, you know, there, some dudes going in there for maintenance and what's this? I hope not. Well, now, I think more. I would, I would almost say for sure it's a hotel, yeah, room. some kind of yeah. resort, yeah, stay, yeah. you know, not hostel, like etc. No, I no, no way, no, not on the beach like, like that. that. No, I mean, certainly he could afford an apartment on a beach now, but I think he'd could, probably yeah. be more subtle with his money. But this, for me, this is okay. So grief, Kurga gets arrested, but they're going to process him. They're going to find his chain code. They're going to know that he's Cassian Andor. And therefore, they're going to know that, uh, you know, if this room is registered to to Keith, Keith Gierga, it's 
registered to actually Cassian Andor. And so Cassian I Andor. think that Deidre herself is going to find the manifesto now, which Interesting. throws it a whole different Doesn't way. It? That really does like a whole, spin it a whole different, different way. way. That actually is, breaks my heart. But is that book enough to sway her? Is the book to enough? To, man, to what a cool thought, she right? Flips? Right. Oh, oh, <laughs> okay, that's something else. And then yeah, what? Uh, uh, and that. then what? Karn Karn gets picked up by the ISB as her replacement. Mm. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Oh, let's read a Catching show. him with that book instantly <laughs> makes him out to be the leader of the rebellion. It's of course, totally it does. Yes, right. it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy's a high level rebel operative. Holy crap. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Well, Cassian uh, downs what's left of like uh, a drink from a bottle and uh, he sways kind of like he's hung over. And uh, as she's calling him, he completely ignores her as he dips his hand in the shower to test the water. Our girlfriend here, uh, our latest girlfriend, Wendy, that uh, is played by actress uh, Katrina Nar Nare. Um, she did a couple episodes of uh, East Enders where she played a character, uh, nurse Marina Herrick. Um, she was also in the reboot Doom Annihilation film as uh, Veronica. <laughs> did anybody see that? I have no, sir. No, neither have I. Um, we all saw the Dwayne Johnson one. Yes. Yes. Did anybody remember it? <laughs> no. no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson was in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. It's probably better than Black Adam. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, sometime later that day, Cassian uh, walks down the beachfront, uh, minding his own business, by the way, uh, as other tourists sit on the stone bleachers, admiring the ocean while he walks past. I get the impression this is like at least two or three weeks past leaving Marva. I don't know. Just long enough for him to uh, hook up with somebody. The amount of facial hair that's now back on him. Again. I suppose. Yeah, sure. Well, sure. Hopefully we go back to going. Bix's forehead for a, for a benchmark. <laughs> Time that's, right. Signature. <laughs> that's right. Look and see if there's a, a look for the bruise. Yeah. Well, suddenly four men hop over a railing and uh, run across the bleachers, disturbing several of the, uh, the vacationers as they go. And uh, from behind them, but down the way a bit, a shore trooper shouts to stop, but the men just keep running. Cassian just ignores the men and, and the shore trooper because well, he, he's not talking to me. But uh, as Cassian glances back, he sees the shore trooper who is now running after the men and he starts to get nervous. Reaching a staircase, Cassian picks up his pace while he lightly jogs up the stairs away from the men and the shore trooper. Reaching the top of the plaza, Cassian passes a couple who are playing a physical game of Dejaric. Mm-hmm. Um, not a hollow version. Yeah, very a cool. Game with physical pieces, mm-hmm. while a trio of what I haven't decided yet are uh, ID nine or ID ten seeker droids. Um, these are related to the droids, uh, if not the same model of droids that the uh, Inquisitors use. Hmm. Absolutely. Difference, but there's blasters on these ones. Yeah. Blaster. yeah, like I yeah, said, yeah, there's probably awesome. you know, there's probably ID one through 12 or something yeah i like guess that. so and then yeah yeah and you know uh field mods are you know for sure there would be oh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. To- yeah totally well cassian follows a windbreak uh wall and uh, periodically checking over his shoulder at the end of the wall he turns to cross over to the nearby store archies uh unfortunately 
he's caught the attention of yet another shore trooper that just happened to be standing on the other side of the wall. Is it funny that we get shore troopers on the shoreline? On the shoreline. Well, that's well, what they're meant yeah. for, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a fun little thing. I stopped on the uh, on the uh, Dejark table. I wanted to see uh, what pieces would we could see. There is a fourth piece. It's it's behind the woman, but you can't make out what it is. There's just like one stick hanging out the side, and like there's not mm-hmm. enough for me to, to guess on. But there's our Kintan Strider, though. I have a very high degree of confidence that the three pieces we are looking at are uh, the Kintan Strider. Um, as well as the uh, the the Kalor, the Kalor slug, and mm-hmm. the Inga Ock, the Inga Ock, yeah, yeah. Um, coincidentally, just because uh, I think it's fascinating, um, chasing the the rabbit down this hole. The the photos I'm using here actually come from uh, these are replica replica hollow chess pieces from uh, Regal Robot. Oh, now beautiful. these these pieces were actually uh, made from the 2015 digital files uh, from Phil Tippett's uh, team, and those those files are actual scans of the original puppets of se- from '77. Nice. Oh, wow. So, yeah, yeah. That I mean, these are highly accurate to what we saw back in A New Hope. Um, interestingly enough, Regal Robot made '77. A limited run of 77 Ooh. deluxe Dejark sets, including the the board and all 12 pieces. It's gotta be. It's gotta be that, eh? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be like if you could dip into the real world for something physical uh, and you didn't have to remake it? Wouldn't you dip into that? I mean, wow, I, you would love to. Just like I think that the um, the hot the hot toys clone. Uh, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely, you would do that. The these chess pieces, that deluxe set, um, all seventy-seven sets uh, sold out at a retail price point of uh, four thousand seven hundred four thousand seven hundred ninety-nine U.S. dollars. Wow! So that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Uh, but you can get waitlisted for uh, some more pieces that they have on their website. <laughs> all right, and I and like I said, I don't know if these are ID nines or ID tens, but I again, I, we've looked at these before. We looked at them in Kenobi because they Absolutely. were uh, prevalent in Kenobi. Um, I've I've put up some uh, versions of the the ID nine. These are uh, animation models, uh, and the ID ten, as well as the modified ID ten used by Aiden Virzio in uh, Star Wars Battlefront two. I mean, the, they're definitely in the family, you know. Oh yeah, they're, they're oh, in yeah. the family. Could be just a pit droid with no body, for all I know. <laughs> so that's kind of what it looks like, too. All right. Well, the shore trooper immediately starts to harass Cassie and asking him if he was uh, a part of it. Are you a part of it? Whatever it is. And uh, when Cassian says a part of what, the trooper's like, "Don't play dumb." And uh, Cassian, who just tries to breeze past the trooper, says, I'm just on my way to the store. But the trooper uh, formally detains him and backs him up towards the windbreak uh, to ask him some more questions. Well, the trooper says, looks like you've been sweating. And Cassian (laughs) uh, points out the obvious, uh, it's hot out. But the trooper suggests, well, maybe you've been running. And uh, Cassian says, why would I be running? And the trooper says, because you're part of it <laughs> still confused by it. Cassian says a part of what And the trooper barks. I'll ask the questions. 
Well, just then, three of the suspect men run past Cassian and the shore trooper. The trooper radios in that the runners are headed south at Pier 9. And like a good citizen, Cassian says, I can wait here for you. (laughs) (laughs) But the trooper, who's not, uh, is just not interested in chasing after the men. Um, not when he has a suspect right here. Right. Uh, and he also has all the authority that he needs to make any quotas that he might have to make this month. And so he says, uh, friends of yours, as the three guys go running by, Cassian tries to explain that uh, I'm a tourist. I don't know anyone here. But the trooper dismisses his explanation, saying that well, tourists don't run. And with the weird like look, Cassian's like, but I'm not running. <laughs> And the trooper's like, you got that right, because that window is shut. (laughs) And uh, as he says that, uh, a KX model security droid comes walking up the stairs, carrying two of the men, Mm -hmm. while a third man is tossed into frame by a second KX droid uh, that's walking in from just off camera. All right. And the uh, the big news this week is that uh, our shore trooper uh, is voiced by Star Wars veteran alum Sam Witwer. Uh, it's an uncredited uh, role, like most of the trooper cameos have been. I uh, caught it early. I, I When he screamed Kenobi, that's when I knew yeah. it was him. <laughs> a la, a la um, um, Daniel Craig. Uh, Kevin Smith has been reported to have been uh, a stormtrooper. Yeah. Uncredited. Um right couple of tweets here we did get a tweet from sam uh back uh obviously from uh the 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 helmet from luthan so that was a couple of weeks ago i totally missed that one mm-hmm. and then we got another one this week are you a part of it but yes uh sam whitwer uh darth maul by the way also palpatine in the yes. animated series yeah animated series yeah that was a new one for me hmm. and of course I, uh star star killer from uh, uh the force unleashed I went to <coughs> down Sam Witwer rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, yes, you did. Um, man, he was in so many things like Phineas and Ferb, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, on Smallville. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, live action. Li- live action. He was uh, um, in Battlestar Galactica. He was in series. Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. 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 Uh, All right. Well, fantastic. The shore trooper calls for droid assistance and, uh, Oh, wait a second here. We got another comment coming in here. Sean, Sean from YouTube who says a star Wars black series action figure do a bath with uh, different droids bath, uh, build a figure for different yeah. droids. We're you on know, the same page, Sean. Uh, we all have said been the same begging thing. For that. Like this is where, this is where you get th- small vehicles. Like, why don't I have a six inch? I, I could you've given me two versions of the uh of the the uh mark one battle droid mm-hmm. uh so why haven't i got a stap yet you could have threw that in as a as a bath tons uh, like for four like or five a, six figures yeah could easily do a six inch tauntaun you could there's yep, like yeah it's just no i hear you I hear absolutely you. Well, the mcfarland line uh-huh. they just did a horse for the dark knight returns uh bane was about yeah. i mean bane's huge but yeah uh, your point is well received sean Absolutely. we all agree Come we've on, been has clamoring <laughs> for star wars uh build a figure or build a something in their black series uh uh releases more than one blaster for god's sakes yeah <laughs> that's right calling for droid assistance the uh, uh the kx unit unceremoniously drops the two suspects and approaches the trooper for instruction 
The trooper tells the droid to, uh, and this is a quote, by the way, hang on to this one for me. Mm-hmm. I want to check the shelter. And as the trooper walks away, the KX unit squares off with Cassian. And in a moment of what I am calling a critically uh, flawed logic says, he said, hang. <laughs> Cassian backs away from the droid, trying to reason with it, saying that, no, 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 you've misunderstood. And the trooper, in fact, meant to watch him, but the droid repeats itself, hang, and picks Cassian up by the throat and slamming him into the wall. Cassian struggles against the droid, but he cannot break its grip. Desperately, he shouts at the gaggle of nearby shore troopers standing at Arkies, tell the droid what you meant, tell him you meant watch me. And then I presume he falls unconscious yeah kind of so my heart sank in this scene and i'll I'll tell you i gotta tell you why yeah not not because cassian was being choked out and not because he was being wrongly accused of a a crime he didn't commit even though he's he has committed several crimes in his life my heart sank because that was not alan tudyk's voice alan tudyk (laughs) were you hoping for it i was really hoping (laughs) i was super hoping that i had a moment moment they they met i i really as soon as i saw the droid i went like not that I knew he wasn't going to reprogram that second or in whatever. that moment, yeah, yeah. But I, I just wanted that to be his voice for just a split second. I had a moment. I'm not going to lie. I had a moment where it's like maybe, but then I remember, you know, Alan Tudyk said, "I'm not in the first season." He, he said he did. It point blank. Yeah, but we've had people say that before. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not in it. Uh, there was two years of Andrew, Andrew Garfield. Garfield. I'm, I'm not in it. Obi Wan show. <laughs> There's no Obi Wan show. I'm we don't not know in what it. You're talking about. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll tell you what I have a problem with, and I mean, I'm sure it's been what? Uh, it's now Sunday, uh, Sunday the 23rd. The episode has been out uh, as of this recording for. Uh, Five days. Five days. While mm. as recently as yesterday, still no update on uh, everybody's favorite Star Wars resource, the uh, Wikipedia, which right. actually gives this model of droid a very glowing review in terms of what it's capable of, makes no mention of the critical flaw in its logic processors mm. that, as I said to you, Hank, any droid that can uh, stretch hang on to this one and turn right. it into hang is a danger right. to everyone, including its <laughs> owner. Absolutely. The empire should legitimately be scared of these things. Right. They don't follow the three I mean, laws. <laughs> we could chalk this up to, they've just adjusted the programming in light of what's just happened. I and perhaps so. Yeah. But, uh, and then I speculated perhaps this very flaw in its logic is what allows Cassian, Cassian to reprogram one so effectively. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, how effective is it though? And, and I asked that because um, this won't be the last time that Cassian gets choked out by a KX model. No, 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 no. In oh, the, 27, in the exactly. 2017 uh, Cassian and K2SO uh, Rogue One prequel comic, we actually get that sequence where uh, Cassian reprograms him and uh, K2SO chokes him out very much in the same way. Cassian has some help in this one, so he's actually able to sub- subdue uh, K2SO. But mm-hmm. in the reprogramming, he even says, um, sorry, you've only reprogram, you've only wiped 29% of my memory. So right. Who knows? Maybe some of those like right. critical logic faults are just built in. Well, the, I mean, the even components. 
some of some of the way you know like <laughs> congratulations you're being rescued <laughs> yeah Slam exactly ground, you know? <laughs> don't resist <laughs> uh anyway um seriously guys if you are not a fan uh fandom.com it's the wikipedia have a look at the kx security droid entry um read through it and uh and then laugh along with us at how laughable it really is now in light of this uh, uh choke out <laughs> also they killed a bunch of mandalorians oh just yeah. saying yeah nine of, sure nine of a thousand tears nine of a thousand tears right sure did all right okay cool th- uh thing here though our kx droid our kx unit is played by veteran puppeteer aiden cook now we've talked about him before mm-hmm. um he's done some work uh um he did some work on the the dark crystal the dark crystal uh television series actually gets two credits in this episode not only is he the voice of our kx droid but he's also the alien bailiff in the court sequence oh cool um and no stranger to Star Wars, he was the 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 physical embodiment of Bulio, the character, uh, the second character voiced by Mark Hamill in The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, they put his head on a table. Um, <laughs> he also played both the brothers, uh, uh, Benthic and uh, Idrio Two Tubes. Idrio Two Tubes. Idrio and Benthic uh, appeared in both uh, uh, Rogue One and Solo, a Star Wars story. Awesome. Yeah. 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 All right, in a sweaty courtroom somewhere on Niamos, a disinterested judge calls for some charges to be read. The prosecutor reads, loitering at the scene of a crime, walking an unleashed massif, and animal <laughs> fouling. And with uh, an analog credit card machine, like the old swiper, oh, yeah. the judge uh, puts a, a blank plate on the machine, and she Instantly basically yeah, engraves it. Like, swipes the disposition of the the court case um where she announces a four-month jail sentence um this guy just got four months in jail for walking his dog letting his dog pee and leaving it yep <laughs> Ooh, does that just that, so now does that not tell you that uh the poured the the re, fully yeah we're now we've reevaluated all of our sentencing and now everything is so much more so much bigger which is kind of funny though because the transcription on the card is actually not reflective of what she says yeah. because the card actually says that the accused name is uh, richard stevenson and he's been accused of a failure to follow imperial command anti-imperial vandalism and he's actually been sentenced to five years in prison so um nice little easter egg to sneak in there did we did you find out who richard stevenson was i did not i didn't either i got the other name though yeah okay all right well then it's cassian's turn as the bailiff calls out keith Girgo, keith Girgo, here and uh, stepping out from the lineup the judge asks for the charges to be read and the prosecutor begins Civil disruption, anti-imperial speech, fleeing the scene of anti-imperial activity, and attempted damage to imperial property. I guess that's when he was trying to get the droid to, like, let go of, don't kill me. Wow. Cassian tries to plead with the judge, but she tells him, uh, don't, because he's in enough trouble without adding a resisting judgment charge. 
Cassian makes one final plea saying that I'm just a tourist. And the judge sarcastically says, oh, apologies all around then. And as the judge remarks, oh, this used to be a six-month sentence. She swipes the machine. Six years. <laughs> six wow. what? Six years. Cassian tries to plead with her, but she orders him removed from the courtroom. And as the shore troopers drag him off, she remarks that uh, it's a change of guidelines. This is obviously the, the fallout from the emergency measures enacted by uh, the emperor that Colonel Ularan spoke about. Mm. And just like the last sentence, this plate does not reflect what she said either, because this one translates to somebody by the name of uh, Keith Seymour, who's accused of being force sensitive, uh, assaulting, assaulting an imperial officer and has received a sentence of 25 years. 25 years yeah wow maybe they think we're not reading these things (laughs) (laughs) i actually think this is a cool way to slip something in uh keith seymour uh is a concept artist has worked on star wars projects before has done some work for marvel as well as uh warner brothers so um as a concept artist i kind of wonder if maybe that's a nice way to sneak in like this is your own name work maybe some of his some of his work maybe that he Mm. conceptually uh conceived conceptually conceived of yeah Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> All right, so um, going back to what uh, Yularen said about reevaluating the sentences, um, does anybody remember this line? Fear will keep the local systems in line. Anybody remember when Tarkin said that back on the Death Star? Oh yeah, I think uh, you know the next lo- the follow up line was fear of this battle station, but li- really fear keep the local systems in line right if i'm gonna go to jail for five years for letting my dog pee or poop on the ground right. i'd be else i would be a little it. bit i'd be kind of worried about that you make an right. example of a few and the rest and, will just fall in line and the one and, thing that that these uh oppressive regimes have always done uh yeah aside from uh, uh literally oppressing their citizens is that type of stuff is what creates rebels yep yep uh, you yeah, you know if you 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 bomb a village and you you're creating your own terrorists if you will yeah, you know, yeah, in the real yeah. world right but, of course all right so um our prosecutor is actor glenn pritchard now he's done tons of british television uh including six episodes of uh, coronation street where he played uh, malcolm fox he also did uh, 14 episodes of uh, Brookside. Our judge, my God, uh, I was so thrilled when I saw this. Um, our judge, that's actress uh, uh, B.D. Edney. Now, on top of being a star in a show called Poldark, of which she appeared in for 42 episodes, you might remember her as Heather McLeod wife of connor mcleod no way <laughs> yeah oh cool man yeah super Very super cool. cool yeah she should have sentenced someone to a beheading then certainly <laughs> come on tony gilroy <laughs> yeah that's that awesome just makes them immortal come on that's right <laughs> that's right oh no the quickening yep. <laughs> and or the quickening <laughs> so good nice grab yeah yeah all right, we cut back to the Bureau of Standards and we get this extreme close-up of Cyril Karn's eyes uh, darting about as he scans through lines of code. 
fiddling, a, he fiddles with a control knob for a moment before looking up and uh, away from his screen. I didn't get the impression he was doing his job here at all, actually. I got oh. the impression he was doing self-serving things. Oh, I, I don't know I why. But... Was, I kind of thought he was looking at the code. But again, definitely distracted because he does uh, look away. Um, ironically, he looks right into the camera, which that's mm -hmm. an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, looks right into the camera. And the camera now snap cuts several times as it pulls back. And each time the camera does, it draws back to reveal just how insignificant Cyril has become as mm -hmm. he is now dressed in the exact same uniform as everybody else and right. has now become part of the monochromatic hive of drones that is the Bureau of Standards. And uh, just before or as at the exact same time as we are uh, cutting to black, we can hear the sound of a prison door slam shut. And that's it. That's our episode. Crazy. And to point out, yeah, the numbers are all just plain English. They don't even translate them to no. the Orabesh version no. of the numbers. Well, the number the number thing is interesting. Like I was talking to Kim about this earlier today, and and she thought that he may have seen something in the numbers. Maybe. And then I'm like, well. He's assigned to fuel purity. Is there some chance that he's able to, you know, figure out what kind of fuel was in the Rono and maybe he can figure out the range of how far it might have been able to get? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if he saw anything in the numbers or not. I do think he was distracted, though. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's it, guys. That's the announcement. Uh, what do you think? Wow. A good one. <laughs> I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. Um, uh, a lot. It's uh, been a slow burn and we've certainly caught a uh, full fire <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah, We're yeah. fully ablaze. And uh, <laughs> the, the spark that, you know, it's that Poe Dameron line, the spark that yep. ignites the rebellion. Uh, yeah. uh, we're really getting to see that full force. Like I said at the beginning, if if you're gonna tell a story, I I I need these people to tell me stories that matter. Yep. And and you and you worry, are you just gonna just tell the story to get it out there and make some money off of us? Certainly, the Aldani heist is a story that 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 needs telling because the repercussions of of the that those events are are vast, yeah, wide, so like far it, reaching. It never yeah. occurred to me yeah, that yeah. the the empire was just going through the motions for 15 years before they started grinding their heel yeah, into the yeah, population yeah. of the galaxy. Any ideas going forward? Any speculations you want to throw around? Any questions I mean, you want to ask? I'm blown away. I, I have a million questions. I don't even know if I could format them right now. Well, I, I, the obvious one for me is how, how is Cassian going to get out of this? Right. And I had, because he's like, either okay. going to, he's either going to be let out, broke out or uh, sorry, let out, busted out, or he will break out just escape and then i thought you know like val's mission to kill him how how far does she take that does she take it to a place where she gets arrested herself so that she can get him from the inside from the inside um or does she right. does she you know go against the grain and and take it upon herself to to rescue him like i mean there's i have seen there's, a, there's only four episodes week. left I have seen this week that, you know, there's, there's a small, por there is a portion of the fan community that 
you know, have said, maybe he'll meet somebody on the inside and they together will break out and sort of the leading. And this is purely, I mean, fan service, but, uh, Hey, Hey, everybody hundo. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, would that not be an interesting, like, we're going to get out of here. (laughs) It might be. I don't know if there's any weight to that, but it certainly, it's fun to entertain (laughs) the thought. So, Will It'd be he a great place to meet Son Guerrera. Well, there's we that did as well. see him in the tr- in the initial we know trailer. That he's in the show, right? We haven't somewhere. seen him yet. Um, so that's the big one. How's he going to get out of this? Is Vel going to be involved in that? Maybe. Is is Dedra going to be involved in that? Maybe. Um, because now, like you say, he's in an imperial prison somewhere. Should be pretty easy to find once he's identified. Super sure. worried about that manifesto being in the hands. That of the is Empire. the other one. As I'm Man, staring that's at my crazy. <laughs> in a freaking hotel room, is uh, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Yeah, some maintenance dude uh, made somebody. People break into hotel rooms. Room boy, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? right? Like some I'm rando takes credit for it and seriously and like, worried know, for the the fate admiral of the Akbar is just point. a janitor and he finds it and suddenly <laughs> hey in legends akbar was tarkin's slave he was he absolutely mm. was you know i did not know yeah that. in legends akbar is uh is a, a slave to tarkin for a while like a manservant um, yeah he's also a part, of the, part of the team that built the b-wing starfighter hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah suppose this though yeah sure based on the manifestos they find it and okay they who who's they uh, say the imperials the empire finds it okay he's arrested now so they just go search his room on principle yeah and kick out poor girl and whoever's living there at the moment but uh, they find that and before they identify him as cassian yeah they get that and that instantly positions him as like a leader of the rebellion so anonymously the call goes out and say you know luthan or saw or whoever right like, right oh one of our high-ranking guys is in we got to break him out and when they break him out it's like that's interesting the hell are you i there i do think that there's some room for that i don't think that we're we're a hundred percent there yet because this the network it is a loose network and at this point because they don't they don't cohese together to form the alliance part no. until just before just before uh, yeah so i mean that, it, that that it's actually played out in rebels the yeah the, the, yeah. the joining of the groups when everybody coalesces on you that's before. right yeah 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 um up but until uh, then, i would say that groups working with the same goals yeah i probably yeah. would gather that while being the most militant and they're militaristic, I bet you saw Guerrero's group is the most organized. Yeah. At this like point, they probably are. He's been fighting these kind of guerrilla wars since early well, in, the since Clone Wars. in the Clone War. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As a young man, when he was a different voice, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. It's normal for star Wars now. <laughs> totally normal. Uh, wow. Um, we got a, what do we get? This is episode seven of 12. So we've got a, that was wrong. We've got, Five a, left. A, we've got a three episode arc and we have a two episode arc slash finale, which is going to upset us to no end. Well, because we've got a second season. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're going to got know, a second season. Well, no, if it's a two part finale, then they're going to leave us cliffhanging on 11. Yeah, uh, wait no a week. <laughs> no That's doubt. true. Um, the bigger cliffhanger, which I think isn't not cliffhanger. Um, 
word came out this week uh, from Tony Gilroy that uh, season two will end five days before the events of Rogue One. Wow. Five days before. So that is a very interesting, uh, you know, and if you've, I just watched Rogue One again recently. And and Mm -hmm. if you remember, if you recall, Rogue One opens on a, uh, in an asteroid belt Mm -hmm. on a space station. So it'd be cool to see Cassian get to uh, become the captain that we know he will be. Well, it doesn't uh, exactly leave the window open for season three. <laughs> season three. Yeah. It's called, it's called Rogue One. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you guys want to finish on before we uh, wrap it up? I think I'm good. Uh, I think I'm good as well. Listen, everybody, this has been uh, Fandor. It has been, uh, it's a passion project for the three of us here at uh, Fandom Power. We love bringing this stuff to you guys. Um, it, it really has made my Star Wars journey uh, rather transformative. Um, as I've said before, I don't watch these shows with the same eyes uh, now mm-hmm. that, I, that I used to. And I don't watch I anything ever, the same way anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I ever glad that uh, I'm watching this stuff much more microscopically uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to macroscopically? It's been so much more enjoyable for me and so much deeper and uh, listen, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna watch it that way, stick with us on our show, and we'll do all the work for you. Yeah, <laughs> right here on Fandom Power. That's it for me, guys. Uh, you know, for uh, for us here at Fandom Power. Until the next time, my name is Wes. I'm Andy. I'm Hank. And we'll catch you on the next one, guys. Bye for now. You can't be here. <laughs> <laughs> uh.